welcome back to Zapped to the Past and our look at the games that were reviewed in issue 8 of Zap 64. I am Adrian Mills and I'm joined as always by Graham Raddings. Last week we looked at our first batch of games for this issue and were scared by the spooky Scarabaeus, bewildered by Battlex and shocked by the frightful Frank Bruno's boxing. If you haven't listened to it, then go and do so. If you have, then let's get on with things. Graham. What do we have to look forward to in this second part? As we swallow the final chunk of 1985's festive leftovers, we get giddy with a bubble and squeak of Who Dares Wins 2, Ace, and Crazy Comets. We throw the spy's demise Black Witch codenamed Matt 2 Curry to the dogs and consider what was Rupert the Bear doing with his friends and those magic pills. Mmm. Okay, sounds good. So our first game is not a game at all, but this issue's gold medal. Um, and it's a sound utility called... Electro sound. Um, Graham, you're the, you're, you're the musician <laughs> more than I am. <laughs> you're, the, you're, the, you're the player of uh, or the, the dabbler with electronic music composery <laughs> things. Yes, more so than me. So, uh, did, just to, we're not going to cover much about this sort of thing. It's just a it's just a weird utility, but it got the gold medal. So let's have a chat about it. What did, did you? How did you find electro sound? Electro sound was a quite pioneering thing. The 64 has got a really powerful sound chip. We know this. Um, we've spoken mm-hmm. about it with, with and the games are now, as we've discussed, are now starting to really flex it. So Monty on the Run, and as we'll see uh, in this episode, there's games with even, with other great soundtracks. So it was a really cheap synthesizer, a powerful cheap synthesizer inside the Commodore 64. It's got all sorts of um, controls over its filtering, controls over the waveforms it can use. It's, it's actually quite a powerful mini synthesizer in a chip. So to be able to have a piece of software that enables you to exploit that and start to create sequences and music from that is is really interesting it surprised me it took as long as it did on the commodore 64 to get something like electro sound because prior to that there was something called the commodore music maker which is something i i had it was a little clip-on keyboard that sat over your commodore 64 bread box you clip this thing on and you could sort of hesitate to use the term play the piano but you could sort of you know make sounds natively the commodore 64 wasn't easy to make sounds from through basic and just from switching it on it's not like it was something you could just make sound with and get going with. It needed at all. So ultrasound comes along. It is complicated. And so it takes time for you to, like any tool like this, like any music tool, early music tool, it takes time to be able to get used to all the different keystrokes and key commands and to be able to control the various sounds that you're going to generate through the different waveforms and to be able to control the way that that works and then sequence those into, into sort of music and tracks and do all of that. But here you are, there's a tool that allows you to do that. Now, remember, we're talking about 1985 here. Electronic music is really at its... No, I wouldn't say infancy because that's kind of late mid to late 70s, but in terms of home computers, it's in its infancy. So to get this that gives you the power and access to be able to control all those things and make that kind of music is powerful. Now, I managed to make get this to make some interesting sounds. I didn't spend enough time with it to be able to get to sort of make elaborate pieces of music, but I did check a few clips on YouTube to see what kind of things people created with it. And there were some interesting bits of music and you could create some great sounds and do all that stuff. I know that Jazz Rignall raved about it in Zap, and rightly so, because the Commodore 64 needed something for people to be able to get into and and experience the synthesizer that was built into their computer and this allowed it and so this is you know the beginnings of that kind of sequencing and that kind of music creation software and it's better than nothing 
And it's just, there's a lot going on in it. And when you first load it up, you look at that screen, you're like, that is a lot of stuff in one screen. There's like a keyboard at the top. It's hundreds mm-hmm. of settings. There's lots of keyboard commands. But you have to take your time to learn it without, like with any instrument. The more you do that, the better things get. And eventually, you could get really good at this sort of stuff. And as we see, the computer itself, as we hear, the SID chip in the Commodore 64 is a very capable synthesizer. So this was a great tool to be able to access that. And I liked it. I, I found it hard, but it was a screen full of parameters. No, and sometimes synthesizers yeah. are like that. And in fact, early synthesizers, some of the early Rolands and some of the early Korg stuff, and they are actual um, oscillators and controllers and dials and, and things that alter the parameters of voltages of current going through different kinds of chips and different kinds of things. That's what a synthesizer is. So this is a software version of that with a bit of an interface. Very good. Did you get anything yeah. out? Did you get much out of it? Because I know you, you know, I don't know if you like this kind of thing, really. I, I don't mind it sort of thing. I mean, my, I mean, I played around with Med Optimed on the Amiga mm. as, a, as a tracker sort of thing. And this was, it's kind of similar-ish. You've got a tracker occurring across the middle. You put mm-hmm. tunes in sort of thing and you change waveform you want to go into it sort of thing. And I played around for it and I, I did a few chords, you know, I did a mm-hmm. basic C to an F to a G chord sort of thing as it, as it went across and it, it sounded like a C to an F to a G. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, yeah. That sounds quite nice. When you do a, you know, you get that multi-layer chord of that SID sound, and and you get that... It sounds nice. I could see that if you were into this sort of thing, then this would be an absolute godsend. If you couldn't program, but you were musically musically inclined, especially in 1985, as you said, with those kind of, you know, those keyboards and stuff that needed... They weren't just about pressing a button. They were—I think they were—they had happened at that point, but they were quite expensive. Very. Uh, yeah. So for so, so for something like this, where it was just like, right, I'm going to learn this and play around with it and make some decent tunes. But as a as a tool to make some music, I made some sound. It sounded quite good. Mm. I know enough about music to go, yeah, that's all right. I could I could play around with that. It's quite an impenetrable first first view when you look at that screen. Yeah, yeah. There's lots of things on there, and you do kind of have to get your head around the way that the, you know the SID chip makes noise. Yeah. So you need to know you know what waveform you're using, what kind of filter you're using, and all those sorts of stuff. Yeah. But you know, if you were back in '95, if you had the time and you were that way inclined, I could see this. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty powerful tool. I think. Mm. Um, I don't think I ever played around with it at the time. I don't think I ever had it. Did you? No, no, I didn't. Um, which is annoying, really, because I think I would have really enjoyed it had I had it. I think you would have as well. So, I mean, later, later nowadays, you would use Sid Wizard, which is a some, which is I think a demo group made Sid Wizard, which is a, a Sid tracker, which does exactly what that does, but in a kind of that trackery, Octomedi tracker, Pro Tracker kind yeah, of way. Yeah. And there's even one for the iPad, which you can make Sid tracks with, which is really cool as well. So there's, tool, there's modern day tools for doing all of that, but you know, back in 1985, they were few and far between. And as you rightly point out, this to buy the hardware equivalent of a synthesizer that had the features of the SID would have been expensive. If you're making, if you're within the space of a couple of hours, able to get three good sounding SID chords out of that, that's more than you would have done without it. And that's a good start. Absolutely. That's a good start yeah. for anybody. And that just shows you that the learning curve might have been a little steeper than your average game. But how much more fun would you have had to have? play doing this and making sounds in this than playing any of the previous games that we played that have been awful <laughs> yeah way better investment of your money right. and yeah. always a good argument to the all you ever do in that computer is play bloody games and you can say actually i'm composing a synthetic piece of music father <laughs> um, and i'm going to release him to the name jean-michel ya <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Jean Michel, yeah. Was that who was that? Was that Redfuss? Yes, Redfuss. Yes, on Yorkshire TV when he introduced John Michel. It's the same guy that called him Darth Vader when he introduced Star Wars. So. Yeah, because back then you had a logo on the screen. I know it's an aside, but you back then you had a logo on the screen, and they announced the next program when the logo was on. But then yeah, the program would end, and then the logo would appear, and then it would be and next on ITV. It's the popular favourite Minder, where Terry meets or, a giant pigeon. You know that probably not that show. But. <laughs> <laughs> I missed that episode. Damn it. <laughs> 
We well, see me and Jared Pigeon just after he walks out the woman's, woman with no clothes on his house, <laughs> which was in every episode. Mind hey, Terry, the pigeon. What are you doing? <laughs> hey, Terry, come back. Oh, dear. Right, so let's move on. That's yep. the extra sound. Good, good, good yeah, stuff. Yeah, good stuff. Um, yeah, let's get into the game, so. Okay, so our first game, um, a, a sequel to a game that never was. Or a game that was, and there's an interesting story behind this, which we'll probably get into. Uh, but first of all, this, so this is uh, this was a sizzler. This is a 90% sizzler. This is Who Dares Wins Two. Like I said, so yes, this was a, a, re, a sequel to Who Dares Wins. Uh, we'll get into that in a little bit, sort of thing. So uh, uh, this one's one of yours, Graham. So what, what did you play? It? Well, I mean, obviously you did play it, sort of thing. So how did you find Who Dares Wins Two? Do you know I love Who Dares Wins as a game? I do. I loved it back then. It was if it came down to let's be let's just be no bait about the bush. This is just a command. It's commando clone. So and it is what it is. You know, it doesn't mm-hmm. pretend to be anything else. Um, it was a commando clone. It's called Who Dares Wins Two because Who Dares Wins One was stopped from being released, or at least it, it was controversially not released. I, I don't know what the you might be able to correct me. I don't know what the actual legalities mm-hmm. were, but to cut a long story short, it wasn't released because it was too similar to Commando. And upon playing it, which you can do by, you know, you can download these things these days in this modern world, it was very similar to Commando to the point where it was borderline Commando. So mm-hmm. Who Does Wins 2 comes along and they've changed a lot of the graphics in it. So before there were trees, now there are sheds. And before <laughs> <laughs> before there were before there were walls, now there are fences. And before before there was the big M, now we have the <laughs> Exactly. They've got the, <laughs> the golden, golden arch. Golden arch. Yeah, we've got the golden arch. Golden arches. Golden arch, yeah. They've got the big Mick and the Big Mac, haven't they? In that film? <laughs> Our buns have no seeds. Um, anyway, you got <laughs> I, I sidetracked badly. So coming to Who Dares Wins Two. <laughs> Who Dares Wins Two. So it's essentially it's an actually it's a longer version of Commando. So let's not forget some of the things that Who Dares Wins Two does better than Commando. So number one, mm-hmm. yes, it's longer. Commando is a short, quite a short game because I think it's only three levels, or maybe I'm pretty, well, pretty sure it's just, three just, levels. Just to, just to right, the, the arcade version of Commando is eight levels, I believe. Yes, the Commodore sixty four conversion. Well, yeah, only, was, had only had three. So this uh, has got eight levels in it, which is great. Uh, it's the same format as Commando, so you are a, a, a single sprite player. You're going from bottom of the screen upwards. Um, the screen scrolls as you do so, shooting at the enemies, throwing grenades, because you can throw grenades. You do this by holding down the fire button for a little extended period, and he lobs a grenade out, or you can shoot. Lots of players seem to be, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's probably more than eight sprites on the screen at certain times. I'm, I, I couldn't, I didn't count, but... Either way, it feels like there's a lot of people running at you, shooting at you, firing at you. There's even guys that are getting hits <laughs> and part of a firing squad, which you can sort of get bonus points for killing there. You, if yeah. you kill the right guy, you kill the wrong guy, you don't get any points for that. But So you basically scroll away up the levels and then you get to a stage where there's enemies will pile out of a building or pile out of something and you shoot all of those and then a commando guy comes out that's super quick and super agile. You beat that guy, you finish that level, you're then on to the next level and you get more difficulty so the terrain becomes more swampy there's more water which you can't go through you have to try and navigate your way across this becomes difficult to do because you're getting shot up from different angles and believe you me the bullets in this game find their way to you even though they only seem to be shot at sort of fairly straightforward angles for some Uh reason you end up running into them no matter what you try so it's it's commando with all the best bits of commando graphics are, are perfectly acceptable great little sprites it wouldn't be out of place in an arcade they're not quite as got quite the tight resolution on them but they're still very playable and it's got you know a nice opening theme it's a lot to like with who dares wins 2 it's a really competent well made 
polished game. There's a little scrolling bug, I think, on it. Um, when it scrolls upwards, a tiny, it's a tiny glitch. I don't quite know why some games suffer from that and some don't, but either way, it's a, you know, I think you could just write it off. I really, really liked um, Who Dares Wins 2. I remember playing it way back then and really liking it. I was straight back into it as well, straight into the zone. Of course, it's you. I think it's Second World War, isn't it? So it's you kind of against, you know, whichever enemy you might be fighting. A-N, A-N enemy. It doesn't matter what what they are. But mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's kind of a mixture of shoot them up and... Is it just... Would you class this as just a shoot them up or is this kind of shoot them up with something extra mm-hmm. in it? I don't know. Anyway, I enjoyed it. Um, what's not to like about it? Did you feel the same? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I've always liked this. It, yeah, you're right. It is a, a commander variant. I mean, doing a little bit of research into this sort of thing. So if I'm going to go on about this, I'm just going to kind of echo what you said. Everything you've said, I agree with. Okay. Um, I really enjoy it. The, I, I will say sort of thing that Frank Bruno take note on how to do controls on a con, on a joystick. <laughs> yes. The, this you can shoot and fire th- and fire grenades quite accurately with one button. Yes. You know, amazing, amazing what you can do with a little bit of thought. Yeah. Um, amazing. So Frank Bruno, please take note. It's it's nice to look at. It plays it plays fast. You are right. Those bullets, although they move slowly, they find you. Yeah, um, so they're, they're coming at an angle sort of thing the enemy placements are really clever and especially yeah. the ones that are placed as in behind rocks and stuff you know the way that they fire angular just yeah. to cover each other they'll get you just and you're like oh damn you it's hard I mean yes there's eight mm. levels so this is quite the challenge the, interestingly I sort of went looking around because obviously I, I wanted to look into what was the original who dares went and we, I mean, we, we had a look at the original Who Dares Wins as well, didn't we? We so, did, yeah. I don't know if you looked at that. I did. Um, and that is Commando. <laughs> yeah. It's an interesting article on, on a website called thegamesthatweren't.com. Um, so just to give them some credit there. So I'm just going to quote from there or sort of paraphrase from there. They've spoken, obviously they've extracted a, an interview with Steve Wilcott, who was from Elite, because it was Elite who had the uh, license for the Cat Commando conversion. And this is taken from Retro Gamer. And I'll read it out. It says, imagine the situation you've done a, significant deal with Capcom to bring Commando to home computers and then you clap eyes on Alligator Software's Who Dares Wins. It looks the same as Commando, it plays the same, even the layout of the levels are similar. And best of all, this uncanny clone was on sale before Commando. So they got an injunction offered by a, a you know court game injunction and they granted it. But Who Dares Wins did actually get released. There was oh, wow. a small window of opportunity where they, you could actually buy Who Dares Wins before they had to all the copies got taken off sale. And there's an interesting bit here that where they got uh, awarded an Anton Pillar order, whatever that is. And so they, they had to contact the local sheriff, <laughs> which was a completely bizarre thing to be doing in the 1980s, and tell him that we'd been granted one of these archaic orders, which required him to assemble a posse. Um, and over the course of one weekend, the local sheriff and a group of his merry men armed with this Anton Pillar order went over to Alligator's offices in Sheffield and literally sealed them off. The Alligator guys turned up for work on Monday morning and found their entire warehouse full of this Who Dares Wins game had been sequestered. Um, <laughs> and gosh. that's what happened. But obviously Alligator, they went, okay, fair enough sort of thing. So they reprogrammed it, re- rethinked it, and, and then re-released it sort of thing. So that, that's, that's the story behind Who Dares Wins and Who Dares Wins 2. It's quite quite an interesting one, I thought. You know, this kind of... Because, mm. you, you know, I know you can... You can't really patent an idea. So the idea of running up screen shooting stuff in a war environment um, is not new because there was a game much earlier in the arcade that I sent you a video of called mm. Frontline, which yep. I had never heard of, but was referenced in the review something. So I went and had a look at and hmm. Yeah, that's that's yeah. just Commando. That's Commando. <laughs> that's a, it's an early version of Commando, but you can't copyright an idea. You can copyright design and visual stylings and things like that. And I think that's where they got it. Um, and that's why changing you know to Who Dares Wins 2 is quite an interesting thing sort of thing but let's not knock you know what they did with who dares wins 2 because like you said there's all eight levels here mm. so this is a much sturdier challenge than when the port comes along for commando yep which 
has has some issues. I think you know that's a, that's a game that's bulging at the Commodore seams. Yeah. Um, whereas this feels to fit quite nicely. It's a bit more sedate. It feels mm. quite quite chilled in a, in a certain way, but yeah. it, but also frantic in the same way because th- those enemies you play it for a while, sort of thing. And I, I'm not sure they have much in the way of AI, but the random AI that they have, sort of thing, is just enough to be annoying. Yeah. So that's really enjoyable. And once you get a few of them on, and you get bikes going across, don't you, and jeeps going across, yeah. boats, and all kinds of stuff that you've got to try and blow Trains. up. You get a plane come across, think a train, you've got a guy with a mortar mm-hmm. trying to blow you up. All these kind of elements all start to layer on top of each other into a really sturdy, really enjoyable, fun, you know, and I, and I was bemoaning this in the last episode, sort of thing, the lack of vertical scrolling shoot as well. Hey-ho, here's yep. one. This is this is really good. And like you, I put this on, that music kicked in. Classic bit of Great Escape music. Just press fire. It's, it's a great non-conversion of the arcade games. You know, it's cheeky. It's cheeky that they called it Who Dares Wins 2 because the title screen for Who Dares Wins has a knife underneath Who Dares Wins. Yeah, that's right. Like that's the, Who that, Dares yeah, logo. Yeah, the SAS logo, yeah. And this, they just changed the knife to a two, I think. It was two did, knives. Yeah. I can't did, remember. Yeah. No, it's, it's, two, really yeah, che- yeah. it's really cheeky. And you could see that, you know, they were like, yeah, all right then. And so fair play, you know, they've changed enough. There's enough new stuff there. That I really like Who Dares Wins 2. Always yeah. have done. Always will. It's Same. Fun, challenging, you know, wartime shoot. And we'll see quite a few of these, not just Commando. Off the top of my head, Carry Warriors, Rambo, and things like that will come down the line. But are any of them as good as this? Not quite sure, actually. We'll soon find out. I guess when we play again. Yeah, who does which two? A winner. It is, it a, is winner a winner from me. Yeah, it is. It is. And I don't, you know what? I didn't even mind when you get killed and you restart right at the beginning again. There's that one it. guy right at the very beginning in the grey uniform, right? <laughs> yeah. When you start something. It's just it's like, he is my nemesis. He is my yeah, nemesis. What are you doing? <laughs> no, he is the nemesis for me in that game because he seemed to kill me more than all the others. In fact, I'm pretty sure he hates me. So. <laughs> no. I wonder what his name is. It's, uh, it's uh, Shaking Stevens. <laughs> He's back. <laughs> I call Cliff Richard. <laughs> but no. It, what can yeah. you say? Great. It's a great, great, great game. One of the all-time great shoot, shoot 'em ups. And yeah. and I hate to say it, and I know Chris Butler is a favourite of this podcast because his other games are great. And there's nothing wrong with Commando, but I prefer Who Dares Wins and always have. Uh, so do I. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Just kind of do. Lay our cards on the table, but yeah. yeah. Um, I'm not uh, saying there's so, nothing yeah. wrong with Commando, because as we'll find out, Commando's got, you know, is, is some great stuff in there too. But I just, I've always liked Who Dares Wins too. But I think it's because it's a little bit slower. I think it's, there's something about that. You're right. There's something mysterious about the pace of Who Dares Wins, where it's kind of like you're going into this like war-torn battles. It's kind of a nice sort of slow, ploddy pace. <laughs> it's not frantic. In any, you couldn't describe yeah. Who Dares Wins 2 as frantic. It just there's a lot going on, no. but it doesn't feel frantic. It's kind of measured, and I like it. What can I say? Yeah, I think that plays uh, probably it probably plays more into our, our aging skills. <laughs> I was going to say it's a little bit easier on the eye. It Absolutely, bit easier. Yeah, you know, yeah. Oh, it that's nice. It's doesn't easy. require twitch speed controls because goodness <laughs> me, I've got an automatic car for the same reason now. Oh man, you're one of them. Yes. Yes. I don't know what one of them is. There's nothing wrong with automatic cars. When I've driven, when I've driven one, I really liked it. <laughs> automatic car driver. <laughs> Why don't you want a complex that you're changing gears, that, you stupid idiot? That, that's, isn't that a song by Kraftwerk? <laughs> you know what it's bound to be, and I bet they did it on the electro, the electro sound as well. <laughs> Neutralise the electro sound. <laughs> automatic car driver. <laughs> Wow, you, I'm going to sample that and make a remix. That's, a, that's waiting to be done. I don't need no gear stick. <laughs> no gear stick. No uh, anyway, yeah. gear stick. <laughs> <laughs> no gear stick. Right, anyway, enough of that. No, no that's enough of that, yeah. Who does which two? We like it. Still like it. And it was only eight quid as well, which was a bargain. Such a proper a bargain. Bar- I like bargains. 
Yeah. I don't like games that cost nine ninety nine for rubbish. Which, which we're going to talk about in a minute. So, this yeah. one's too good. This game, actually games, because there's two of them here, but they were wrapped up in one. So this is, uh, remember we talk about this, we talked about the advert, Electric Dreams, uh, Spies Demise and the Spy Strikes Back. And we told you last last episode that we didn't like these games. Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, right, where to start? <laughs> so there's two games here. The first one is Spies Demise. Now, the worst thing about this sort of thing is they're made in 1983. We've mm. made it quite clear our view on this <laughs> nonsense of releasing two-year-old, year-old, two-year-old game sort of thing, again, even in a two-pack sort of thing, you know, 995, two games, just, no, buy Kickstarter for two quid. No, I don't think even um, two-pack would like this game. He'd jump out of his grave and he'd tell you, he'd tell you to your face. <laughs> he would. He probably would. He would not be happy, uh, two-pack's demise. Um, so, yeah, I, I think we need to kind of have some kind of, like, um, official rating here sort of thing. We call it the Kickstart factor. Yeah. Um, and If I can buy Kickstart for two quid, then we're, we're in this as you know who does wins two yeah eight quid it's four times as good as kickstart five yep. you know i get that this is not five times as good as kickstart no. this is about a thousand times worse and the rest and the rest yeah so spies demise okay so the first game in this pairing dies demise is I, I don't even know how to describe this sort of thing you basically on a, it's a single screen but it's not a platformer no. but it looks like a platformer it's, so it's you're a, at the bottom, of the, bottom of the screen yeah and there's these <laughs> You, you bottom left of the screen, you've got to get to the right-hand side of the screen, and there's these, what look like... I, I thought they were... Um, you know in shooting ranges, mm-hmm. where you've got the, the targets yeah, that yeah. you shoot, that come to, I thought they looked like them. Yeah, they did. Um, because they're on a white square with a sort of black figure, but I didn't know if yeah. they were supposed to be spies on a bad sprite background. I just didn't know. Um, I wasn't sure. So these things are moving up and down on rails at different speeds. And so you've got to sort of time yourself. But you can't, once you start moving, you cannot stop. No. Um, And so you've got to come back left and right and kind of time it. And you get to the right. When you get to the right, so there's a series of levels. There's about 12 levels all the way up the screen. You get to the far right, you move up a level. Repeat to the left. Mm -hmm. Move up a level. Repeat to the right. I sound like I'm singing some country western song. Or some kind up of dance to the song. left. Da, 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 to, the right. to the right. <laughs> it's that so uh, repeat it's to the right. black lace is uh, just uh, yes, sued you for copyright um, infringement. <laughs> I would rather listen to black lace than play this. Um, oh, my God. I know. I've gone there. I swear I've gone. <laughs> that's, that's where it. this game has taken me. That's, it's taken me to the black lace. That's zone. too far. That's it. <laughs> I've aggered done. <laughs> I, 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 I was aggered done with this game. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's now, you're now emitting black lace style puns. <laughs> Quickly, just take a moment. Okay. Oh dear. Oh, Superman. Um, right. So you're, there's things to pick up, but you've got to pick them up because they're in the way. You can't. You can't not pick them up. You work your way to the top. If you get to the top, fine. You move up to the next screen. Repeat. Yeah. With sort of a different, slightly different layout. This was just God. What awfulness! Awfulness. Turn that off. Okay. Let's have a look at Spy Strikes Back. So. A little bit of a more animated title screen, but still just as crap. These you move into a game sort of thing with what I thought were supposed to be houses. I'm not quite sure. It's some kind of Pac-Man-esque mm-hmm. display. So you move around this kind of maze with these, but it's not a maze because it's just squares. Um, and you can move into these. So I thought they were like houses and they, some of them had objects in. You can go in and pick them up. 2D, they're hollow and it's crap. There's, a, there's what looks like a helicopter, I think. 
patrolling yeah, on the street. Yeah, something like that. I, I didn't know what I was doing. I, I couldn't figure it out. I, I didn't know. It was awful. This would have been bad in 1983. Yep. To, to release this as two games in one, two years later at the back end of 1985, and then couch it in the terms that they did in that advert, like, you won't believe the value you're getting for £10. This is amazing. Oh, honestly shocks me. It honestly shocks me that they, they thought they were, this is you know, Electric Dreams, this is games from the dreamland. Mm. Like, Christ on a bike. Awfulness. Awful on every level. Visually, sonically, gameplay, value, everything bad. Yeah. <laughs> there what, you go. He, what, what you said. <laughs> Times ten. No. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not going to say much about them because they were, as you accurately point out, just rubbish, just plain rubbish. So no, no, the first one, rubbish, badly created, badly drawn, bad graphics, annoying music, rubbish. The, the follow on, when I saw the hint of Monty Python in it with the how not to be seen thing in it on the title screen mm-hmm. thing, and I thought, Do you know what, Monty Python in these crappy games has never fared well for me. No, so as, you, as soon as it has a hint of Python, you think, there we go kind of places the age of the game maker and where the game sits in the sort of gaming uh, lexicon. It was just more of the same garbage, just inconceivable one-screen nonsense, ducking in and out of, I think, houses. I don't know what they were. I didn't play it for long enough to find out. I just I couldn't get over the fact that I was playing something so monstrous. And on the back of having played things like Who Dares Wins 2 and seeing the, the games that are coming out with the effort and the graphics that go into this, this was just a slap across the face for anyone that bought it at the time, without a doubt. And I think um, should never have been released. Mm-hmm. Just, just don't release games like this. 1983, maybe. But don't, you know, don't wait two years with this in your back pocket and then pounce on the unsuspecting British public. Just don't release it. Don't try nope. and do that kind of annoying cash grab. We've seen it with loads of these. Just stop doing it. Full price for this is an absolute insult to the people that charge less for their greater games. So, you know, your Who Dares wins for £8. Even your Kickstart for, you know, that you say the Kickstart factor. For £2, you're going to get a lot more at Kickstarter than you are going to get out of these two pieces of rubbish for the kind of money they're offering. It's a rip-off uh, and remains one. And mm-hmm. these games should be erased from time and space <laughs> this is so, a rocket um, time machine isn't it it is well <laughs> it, you know what it, it, the fact that we're talking about it means that i haven't done it yet i suppose no you haven't damn you but um no just <laughs> rubbish yeah, you, it, and these again just stop releasing this what did it get 10 percent in zap or something like that it's just no nothing yeah. tells you that this it, even at the time that the pioneering magazine that reviews all these things tells you your game is worth 10 percent and that was pushing it. You know, don't do anything else after that. You know, rethink your life. Change your vocation. But for God's mm-hmm. sake, don't make any more of these crappy games. Because it also had hints, didn't it, of uh, everyone likes spy games kind of thing. And as we know, they don't fare well. No, not no, with they us don't. they don't. I think we've had one. The, you know, the fourth protocol has been the only one we've really kind of dug. The rest of them, mm-hmm. you know, even the James Bond ones, you know, I still have nightmares about them. So this is going to add to that list now. So Electric Dreams, <laughs> no, they ain't. Yeah. My final note on this report was, remember the quote from the Crapvert, was an amazing new concept in software presentation. Just a joke. Just a lie. Yeah, but no wonder they didn't use any screen grabs. Dog egg. Yeah, dog egg's right. (laughs) Absolute dog egg. (laughs) So let's move on. Enough enough said about that. We've spent more time on Spies Demise and Spy Strikes Back than anybody else has in the history of time. (laughs) Um, Well, once once I've erased them, that'll be erased. It won't be there. (laughs) That's good. Let's move on. Let's move on indeed. To our last game in this section before we hit the films and TV and we've got another Rupert game there's two titles coming along here so I think Zap seemed to call this Rupert and the Ice Castle Palace one of the two 
put it on the title screen, Rupert and the Ice Castle. Yeah, I got Ice Castle. Um, yeah, but in the actual magazine, they've got it, Ice Palace. Palace, um, Castle. Palace, Castle. I know, so I think One Man's Palace is another Queen's Castle. I don't know. Yeah, yeah something like that. the other way around. Um, anyway, Rupert and the Ice Palace, Castle, whatever it is, sort of thing. So this is another Rupert, uh, another Rupert game. We looked at Rupert and the Toymaker, mm. Toymaker's Party the, the, the other month. Yeah, uh, another Rupert game. What did you make of this Rupert game? <laughs> uh, do you know what? Okay, firstly... In, ins- insert review from previous Rupert <laughs> game. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, sort of. <laughs> all right, I'm not going to... I don't get... I'm not going to go on about it. I don't dig Rupert and all of that. Okay, number one. Number two, um, so the, the, the format of this game, it's kind of an, a game similar to the other one, kind of a platformy wander around. This time you've got to unfreeze your fellow Ruperty friends so you've got I think it's Bingo Edward Trunk Algy and Bill Badger I think that's some of them they've been frozen by Jack Frost and you've got to go Jack Frost's sister I don't know anyway they've been frozen you've got to go into the castle unfreeze them Rupert has a number of magic pills hey up um, which he uses (laughs) to revive his friends um, because they need to get back to their home their hometown of Nutwood (laughs) Sorry, I just for some reason every time I saw the sign that said Nutwood, it gave me a slight weird chuckle. I thought the, I, I, I thought <laughs> Nutwood City limits yeah, exactly. So you go into you go in there. You got a there's hazards in there, snowballs, um, icicles, things that fall on mm. you, things that hurl at you. You got to jump around. Jumping around in this game is problematic because of the stupid way it jumps um, and these things to avoid. And then you unfreeze your friends and everyone goes back to Nutbush City limits for uh, <laughs> a big Rupert-based party with all of his magic pills. So I imagine they're up till about six in the morning, go around to someone else's house to chill out. There's one guy in the corner, won't stop talking. We don't know why. It's probably Rupert. You know, there's a whole different version of that uh, that particular someone, game. Someone's got acoustic guitar. <laughs> yeah, so the, the, yeah, the late 90s version is very different to this version. Let me tell you, there's, uh, you know, Rupert's tranked out of his mind on horse tranquilizer for most of that. Um, so he's, you know, he's totally ketted up. Anyway, enough of that. Um, <laughs> so that's a different Rupert. That's, so, the, that's the real toy maker's that's party. The, exactly. <laughs> that's when Rupert really got on the ice, shall we say. Now let's leave it at that. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> this this particular version of Rupert's the nice version. So that's all that's the game. And it's the oh, I think it's borderline the same graphics from the first Rupert game. So nice Rupert graphics, nice bingo and Edward Trunk, they all look alright. Graphics aren't terrible, kind of blocky, but platformer jumping up and down different platforms, avoiding stuff. It's actually a bit easy, this game. But then again, as we said about the first game, how sinister and difficult can you make a game featuring Rupert the Bear? So the most dangerous thing in this is a snowball, that might tell you. So just a couple of things I wanted to note. Firstly, the horrific Rupert image when it loaded up. Because I don't know about you, but I I don't remember Rupert the Bear being quite so sort of what looked like he was covered in dog poop. So when it first appears, because I Rupert the Bear is kind of a sort of frisky white rabbity colour, you know, he's all kind of you know pristine. This it looked like mm-hmm. someone had done a massive shit on him. So I don't know what that was all about. Um, so that appears and that you know that appears and disappears. Thankfully, so you know your eyes have been kind of broken and offended in a game that's about ice castles and stuff by this brown, over brown, turd coloured, turd covered Rupert. Anyway, I'm not sure what happened at that point so then uh-huh. you get into the game so you're going around this time you're kind of collecting people which is a bit moribund and weird but you're going around that so it's just rupert the bear the sprites are quite nice the jumping mechanics annoying sometimes you jump over platforms so you jump too far and it sort of double jumps or and if you touch one thing it knocks you and bumps you more than kills you you kind of get nudged and you kind of fly about and you have to start at the bottom of the level again each screen's kind of its own mini game and you go on there you rescue them you get this really bizarre part where the rupert character goes off to the left you go off to the right uh, and then you go carry on carry on do that repeat 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 that's 
the game. Did I like it? No, because it's boring and it's Rupert and I don't <coughs> like it. And for me, it just held no interest. Um, graphically, it looked like Rupert the Bear. That's about as much positivity as I can say. So, did you like it? Not really. It, it, it looks and sounds nice. I think visually, quite nice backdrops. I mean, there's not a lot to on those backdrops, is there? Because it's single screen, and so they could actually take a bit of time to do them. There's some nice shading. The, the characters are nice. Rupert's nice, like he was in the first game. Mm. I don't know if this is another Martin Walker game. It doesn't say. I a, wondered a quick, that. I don't think it is, but I wondered. A quick cursory dribble around the internet. I couldn't, I couldn't find any sort of thinking about it. I mean, it probably is, but I'm, I'm not that fussed. So, you know, the first game is obviously Matt Walker. They obviously used the same sprite and animation. It looks mm. the same. Back, backdrops are a nice sort of thing, but yes. it's, so, it's so simplistic. Yeah. It's really simple. I mean, this is a Rupert game that's squarely aimed at very young children, probably. Mm. There's a bit of challenge there. There's some, you know, you skid on the ice, but you can jump out of it. And once you figure out how to do the screens, you just plow through it. Yeah. There's nothing to it. And, and like, all you've got to do is just reach reach the animal. And it's because everything's so big, you know, and, and that's to it. Play sort of thing. Having everything that big on a single screen doesn't leave much screen to play in. You know, it's it's another Rupert game sort of thing. Is it better than Toy Maker's Party? It's probably on par with it. Maybe yeah. a little bit, probably a little bit worse. I don't, I don't really know. I wasn't a big fan of Toy Maker's Party because it had yeah. some issues and problems. I didn't like the way you went upstairs. Again, this has that, they've kept the animation so it has that annoying jump, but mm. it didn't feel quite so bad in the fact that it was a bit more easy to navigate the rooms. But again, really easy. And so for, for £8, just not, there wasn't enough here. No. It really wasn't. This was a you know a bland bland bit of nonsense uh, with the Rupert Rupert license stuck on it, um, and I and I didn't didn't really not I didn't enjoy it. It's I didn't anything it it was just you know it was it was Rupert to the core. Yeah, because Rupert to me is what the one of the blandest characters from that kind of era of mascot characters or whatever you want to call them in newspaper serials and comics and stuff. I put him on a par with Walter the Softy or something. Yeah, yeah. Same sort of thing. Um, it's just just dull, dull comic characters that just don't hold any interest for me, sort of thing, because they're not shooting lasers or blowing dinosaurs up like the ABC <laughs> Warriors and Judge Dredd. You know, that's what I want in my comics. So this is never going to appeal to me. Um, no. I mean, great if Rupert did go off on Mad One, had a mad sort of ice party. That'd be oh, good. I or did, so, or, or did go off on one and sort of thing and just rack up a big, big space laser and shoot everything. Yeah, could be could a, just, some fun just there. Shaved his head like um, Travis Bickle in Taxi Driver and just went on a <laughs> kill crazy rampage. That's a bald bear. <laughs> and, and that's not something I ever want to see. <laughs> bald Rupert just shaves his entire body apart from a strip on his head. <laughs> All the way down his back. Call, call me skunk. <laughs> you talking to me? <laughs> Are you, are, talking? You talking I don't, are, are you talking are to you me? Are you talking to me? Are you talking to me? I don't see any other bears here. <laughs> you must be talking to me. Oh, oh, jolly old good, you're talking to me. You can't insert Rupert the Bear into any kind of horrific film, really, and, and, and as soon as you do the voice, it just delights all... A lot old savage meaning. So Travis Bickle has. I'd like to see it though. That shootout sequence would be epic, wouldn't it? If Rupert was going up the <laughs> stairs and shot that guy in the throat and then gets shot in the neck and he's like stood there. Just, wow. Wow, what an yeah. image. And it's way more interesting than this game. That's what I mean. I think you can tell how bored we were with this game. In fact, we've gone off on this rant. We did the same thing with the previous one, though. We just put our own narrative to it. Like, imagine if Rupert yeah. was in Rolling Thunder in the last one this time. It's, imagine if he was Travis Bickle in Taxi Driver. I think we just want a violent Rupert. So hopefully the third the third game in the Rupert franchise yeah. will, will, will be his dark reinvention. So, yeah, it's a game of Rupert, yeah. <laughs> I'd watch that. Uh, yeah, so would I. 
the, so it'd be Rupert and the Red Red Throne or Red. Yeah, red can you imagine that if Rupert was the uh, whatever it's called, was the mountain was the, the, Ru- red the keep. Rupert. Yeah, that episode of the where the mountain fights the viper. It could be the mountain <laughs> fighting Rupert, and he pops his little head. Oh, imagine that. Rupert's head going poof. And his eyeballs, his little beady eyeballs shooting out and hitting that woman. Ah, she screams. It's just written. It's all written. Do it, somebody. Animate that. Somebody please. who can animate stuff, please animate that. Yeah, because we, we can't. Like, no, not got Captain L's chance. I can't even draw a good stick, man. We're, we're, we're thinkers, not doers. <laughs> yeah, we come up with the ideas. Just get, get the animators in in post. They'll fix it in post. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear! Right, let's move on. Moving on. Uh, that's Ru- Rupert and the uh, the gory adventures of the gory adventures of Rupert in his uh, in his trips out ice party castle, <laughs> whatever um, dull game highlighted by imagining him in various violent films. Right, I so want to see Rupert in The Shining now. <laughs> Here's Rupert. Come, come play with this Rupert. <laughs> Oh, what if uh, Rupert was the thing and it follows? <laughs> now that, please, somebody, please, out there. Rupert follows. Rupert follows. Just everywhere you go, you look, look in the distance, you can just see him walking towards you. Just Rupert walking. The idea that you've got a, some kind of sexually transmitted infection that is cured by Rupert the Bear killing you is random and weird and way better than the Ice Palace. So do that. Halloween, the, the <laughs> night he came home, it just happens to be Rupert coming home. He could wear a Rupert mask, couldn't he, Michael Myers? He could have yeah. been Rupert in the trousers. You have to wear Na- the, uh, <laughs> the checking nightmare trousers. In the toy, <laughs> nightmare in the toy maker's party. <laughs> it's Rupert with his finger, finger blades. Yeah, the finger knives, yeah. God, that would be horrific. Loads of stuff. There is. There's mileage Rupert in 13. there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the, the killer in that one, of course, would be it was Rupert's mum, whoever that is. I don't know. Who made, who made Rupert? I don't want to know. <laughs> I don't want to think about that. So <laughs> Do you know what I've gone through my head now? Troutman made it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like Rambo. <laughs> yeah, Ra- Rupert in Rambo. <laughs> Dad didn't make Rupert. make Rupert. I did. <laughs> he thinks they'd make a Billy go puke. <laughs> Rupert, first blood two. Enough Rupert crap. Enough for Rupert, crazy uh, let's Rupert. Move on. Right, let's okay. move on. So we're coming back in a moment with films and TV from uh, December 1985. All right, welcome back. So we looked at games. Now let's look at film and TV in December 1985. Um, we're going to focus really on the, the Christmas highlights because, you know, this is what we had to look forward to on Christmas Day and Boxing Day. So, again, 1985, when you, you know, you're looking, you're scouring through your millions of films on Netflix and Amazon Prime and Disney, and you've got, you know, choice paralysis, whatever they call it. Mm. Um, at least think on what we didn't have any of that sort of thing. This is what we were fed up. On Christmas Day, Christmas Day highlights, according to uh, Wikipedia, on BBC One included the premiere of Jim Henson's Muppet Babies. Oh, not good. And a, and a Wogan special in which Terry Wogan travelled to Denver to meet the actors who portrayed members of the Carrington family from US Soap Dynasty. Wow. Killer. <laughs> Roland Ratt, he also appeared in the Christmas Day schedule with Roland's Yuletide Binge, a general entertainment programme featuring guests including Russell Grant, Frankie Howard, Jan Leeming, Ian McCaskill, 
Beryl Reed and Valerie Singleton. God, what a bizarre cast. Wouldn't it have been great, though, if it was an actual Yuletide binge where he just went out and got <laughs> smashed out of his skull for days on the bounce and Christmas Day was his just his, the final day where he's just laid in the corner in, his, in a pool of his own piss and shit. Just hey, burbling at fans. yeah, just burbling at people as they went past. You all right? Are you all right, Roland? Get a <laughs> you ever. Someone just finds him with a kebab smeared all over him in a corner in a sewer. I told you that game was shit. <laughs> That's his Yuletide binge. He just got totally smashed out of control and. Uh, just, he, just, he just dinted someone's car and smashed it up as well because he's just that kind of rat. Just a, he's a nasty rat. But this is Christmas Day, and one of the highlights was Wogan talking to characters from Dynasty. Because it must have been on in the daytime, because that can't have been prime time evening. Uh, but maybe it was. Know, you know, Wogan was a big, big Wogan draw. Wogan was wasn't very he? big he in was the eighties, yeah, yeah. Sort of thing. And Dynasty was a big deal, sort of thing. So you know, yeah, it was. That, was it really a, was? A, you know, when Wogan met the Carrington family, it's, it's clearly a match made in. Well, exactly. BBC Heaven. Uh, and the only thing that could have made Roland's Yuletide binge passable would be if Russell Grant was made to fight Frankie Howard to the death with Batlets. <laughs> now that, that would you know, be with, good. With the music as well. You know, that whole, get that get that going. One of the stars is a weatherman, <laughs> Ian McCaskill. Another, another, another one another one is Beryl Reed, who is, you know, famous for uh, the blood. Blood Beast Terror? Is she yeah, in Blood Beast Terror? She's in... Be- and Mooncat. And Mooncat. Oh, yeah, she's famous for Mooncat. This is what we had to put up with. But the highlight of the day... The highlight of the day was Minder <laughs> on the Orient Express. <laughs> a feature-length episode, if, if, you know, like an hour want enough for you, of the television series Minder, and it received its UK television debut as the highlight of ITV's Christmas Day schedule. <laughs> Did we ever decide... What he was called? Is it Terry well, Strong? It is Terry Strong. I don't care. I'm going back. I'm using the time machine to go back and rewrite the script to call him Terry Strong. I'm betting at some point in that Made on the Air Express, Terry comes out of a carriage and the and there's a naked woman in, in, yep. the, in the in the compartment behind you. Going, hey Terry. Just be putting his t-shirt back on. Going, what's what the bloody hell's going on out here now? What's, what's going on, Terry? What's Arthur up to? Meanwhile, yeah, Arthur's probably, you know, in the bar cart selling something dodgy to someone and Terry has to get yeah. involved, you know. Well, how much mileage is there on it? Assuming that there's, if there's a murder, that would take Minder, he wouldn't be doing his job, would he? Because he's not minding. So it no. can't, be, can't be a murder on, so, it, so it's Minder on the Orient Express. So it is just Arthur Daly and Terry just, you know, encountering something awkward on a train. This is what they did, wasn't it, back then? It was, I mean, they do it now. So obviously we get our Christmas TV specials of EastEnders and what yeah. was the other one? Royal Family and yeah, um, yeah. Gavin and Stacey. Gavin and Stacey, yeah. So they do these big things sort of thing, but bloody hell, Minder on the Orient Express is, is stretching up, you know. They're, they're, <laughs> they're, they're supposed to be these sort of East End likely lads. You know, yeah. a bit, bit of wheeling and dealing in the East End of London sort of thing. What, what the hell are they doing on the Orient Express? When would Arthur Daly and Terry Strong ever be on the, uh, well, on the Orient Express? The only good thing that could come from that was if Arthur Daly actually did strangle someone to death on there and then Terry <laughs> spent the entire time trying to cover it up. You know, so all the way through, you knew that it, you know, Arthur Daly was less of a cockney kind of wide boy sort of con man. And he, he was actually a cold-blooded murderer and Terry was his accomplice. It's a whole different light on, on Minder. <laughs> yeah, that that would do it. I'd watch that. It wouldn't exactly what you'd but call be, happy happy Christmas fodder, though. <laughs> to be fair, I'd have to watch it because there's naff all else on. And you have three channels, four channels, whatever. Channel Nothing four is probably showing some uh, Chris, Christmas in uh, Germany or something. Or Christmas yeah, in, in Russia, whatever. Yeah. yeah, Christmas in Russia. Uh, so, yeah. it's like, oh, so and now on Channel but, Four, six hours of a Christmas tree twinkling. <laughs> 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 
da, da, da. <laughs> Arty crap. <laughs> Uh, so that was Christmas. That's Christmas Day. Eat, eat, be merry. Uh, get up for Boxing Day, sort of thing. I would go around to uh, Graham's house and mm. one by one smell every one of his rooms out with the uh, <laughs> efficacy of, of my Christmas, Christmas day, yes. <laughs> of Christmas Day, sort of the thing. The return would, of Christmas which, dinner, <laughs> which would come out as a as a noxious fumage. <laughs> um, to which his mother would wonder what had gone on. Yes, always. <laughs> she would ask on the twenty seventh. Why does the house smell? Yes, what's going on? Why does the house always smell of burnt underpants? <laughs> and I'd be walking off with a twinkle in my eye. Anyway, on the 26th of December, Boxing Day highlights on BBC One <laughs> include a Tenko reunion. Sherpy. <laughs> nothing, says, nothing says Christmas <laughs> like the reunion of some Japanese prisoner of wars. Yeah, no, does a feature, it? it's a feature-length episode of Tenko that reunites the cast of the story set five years after the original series. Wow. Oh, did we do well to, you know, want to, let's all reminisce on those happy times in the internet. That's what I mean. Camp. So this is just like, you know, that's like <sighs> post-traumatic stress or, uh, stress syndrome, the programme, isn't it? Because they will be yeah. traumatised. There was yeah, awful, awful experience, in, you know, in, in that CV show. So, yep. wow. And then uh, Boxing Day highlights included on ITV, included the British television premiere of the 1982 political thriller Who Dares Wins. You know, <laughs> Classic. Classic. Nice, uh, a, a nice tie-in with the Who Dares Wins games we've spoken yep. about. Um, but, ah, it's um, a good film, that. It's not. No, no it's, it's not, not actually. No, I think what I'm mad about. No, it isn't. It's, it's got one good scene in it, and that's the scene where they go in, and there's that great shot where they're running down the corridor. Yeah. There's a low-camera shot of them with the guns, and there's one yeah. by the side of Lewis Collins. It's yeah. a great shot. The rest of the film is boring garbage. He was always watchable, wasn't he? Or Bodie. He's all right. You know, yeah. I think he was an actor. He desperately wanted to be bigger than what he was um, because he's quite. Because I hear he's quite short. <laughs> <laughs> he's only you know, five foot eight. <laughs> <laughs> he might. He too, I'm, he so, might I'm very been. sorry. I'm very very sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No disrespect to Mr. Collins. And um, we show that he's of an no, appropriate sure, size sure. for whatever age he is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's six foot tall. I don't yes. know. It could be anything. Channel Four celebrated Granada Television's thirtieth birthday with <laughs> why? Why would they hang celebrate on, that? Hang, hang, hang on, with an <laughs> evening of programs from the nineteen sixties, including Bootsy and Snudge. <laughs> I reckon somebody's been on Wikipedia and changed it, and a yeah. compilation of From the North. <laughs> yes, I have a feeling that may have been altered, uh, but it, it's got a link. Bootsy mm. and Snudge has got a link. Um, Maybe it's true. Maybe Granada TV did have a Bootsy and Snudge. I'd never heard of it. But I wasn't Granada, you see. I wasn't Granada. Yorkshire TV for me. It was Yorkshire TV for me. And obviously I wasn't alive in the 1960s. No. So even if I was, even if I was a Granada, I wouldn't be able to see it. But God's sake, that was our Christmas highlight. Bootsy and bloody Snudge. Why would one television channel celebrate something that's on a completely different channel? It'd be like BBC One doing a celebration of Channel 5's content. Which would take about two minutes, but it would, it would. Why would you do that? It's weird, you know. Now on Sky One, we celebrate the BBC and everything they stand for. Weird, cheap, cheap content. Well, but Bootsy and Snudge, it sounds like it. Yeah. <laughs> they probably went down some. Probably someone from Channel Four went down some car boot sale and bought a load of two reels of film and found it was old Granada TV stuff from thirty yeah. years ago. So they went, oh, we'll, just, <laughs> we'll, we'll just put this together into a special making of. The special. Yeah. Is it the 30th, 30th birthday? Don't know. Who knows? Who cares? Probably. Who cares? No one will notice. There's no internet to check. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No one will know. We'll just say they've been around for 30 what, years. What's, the, what's the internet? <laughs> what is this Erase, internet you er, speak of? Erase the electro scan quickly. <laughs> he knows too much. Called Bootsy. 
<laughs> He's not available. Get Snudge. <laughs> Get Snudge in. S- snudge. Sort him out. Grease him. <laughs> That's Boosie's job. <laughs> yeah, Snudge is the clever brainy one. <laughs> oh, it's like Pinky and Brain. Yeah, I think it is. Bootsy and Snudge, yeah. Boots, we're Bootsy and Snudge. <laughs> like Rosie and Jim. No, Pinky and the Brain. Ah, yes. I think it wouldn't be as good as that. It would be It would be the 60s British version, so. It would be Bootsy and Snudge. A couple of gruff northern <laughs> lads, you know, drinking Newcastle Brown out of a brown paper bag, which is difficult because it would run out of the... Probably. I think it was some kind of, like, alternative to the likely lad. Yeah, the, the, less, the less likely, to be fair. <laughs> Bootsy and Snudge are the most unlikely lads you're ever going to come across. Not sure what they're uh, about, but we, we we maybe should have looked up what Bootsy and Snudge were, but I actually prefer not knowing. It's one of those I don't think, things. I don't think we should know, nor should it ever be known. <laughs> Just whatever you think Bootsy and Snudge is in your own head is what Bootsy and Snudge yeah, is. It's, 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 what it is for you, it's for you, <laughs> and for you, you alone. <laughs> Cherish your own Bootsy and Snudge. Yes, you make of that what you will, and and enjoy what you make. <laughs> and if you want to send us your drawings and pictures of Bootsy and Snudge. Please send them to the email address out the past at gmail.com. We will greatly receive them and review them even in another episode. But it's what Madonna sang about. Cherish Bootsy and Snudge. <laughs> We're Bootsy and Snudge. Bootsy and Snudge. He wears the boots and I'm covered in Snudge. <laughs> What's Snudge? You don't want to know. I'm covered in it every week. Every week. Every week, Bootsy, for some reason, puts me in a bag and then I'm covered in his Snudge. <laughs> It's, it's such a grim thought that Bootsy would even have a name for that. Bootsy, why? What is all this snudge you're putting me in? You don't want to know. You don't want to know. Just you know, just accept that I'm doing that. That's what's yeah, happening. Yeah. Just accept that that's your role in life to be covered in my your snudge. Role. <laughs> your role is to to look at my boots while I cover you in snudge. This <laughs> taking a very very dark turn. Yes, I don't they, think this is going on. Have. I don't think this is what was happening in the 1960s Granada TV. Well, do you know, it wouldn't surprise me. You know. But, you know, it's on Channel 4, so they've probably just made it up. Yeah, they will have um, That was what we had to look forward to on TV over Christmas, and it was probably a lot boringer than what we just heard. Mm. <clears throat> so let's go on with films. Uh, big one to start the month with, big title, 4th of December, Back to the Future. Oh, good film, classic. It is a, it is a classic. Best of the trio as well in my book. Yeah, probably, yeah. I mean, the other two, this Matrix sequel syndrome in it, too yeah. much. Yeah, um, you know, trying to push that formula too far, sort mm. of thing. And I know this had to be continued at the end, as you know, the Matrix probably was as well, whatever. But this, this felt, you know, compact and bijou. It was, it's a tight film. This, yes, and um, every, everything works. I saw the trailer for Back to the Future when I went to see ET, and it had it was the Eric Stoltz trailer back then. And that's a true fact. Really? Yep. Uh, wow. Because he was he was in the trailer before the original trailer for Back to the Future and was originally going to be the Marty McFly character. But later yeah, was, it got yeah. changed. Because of later it got changed to um, uh, Martin McFly. Because <laughs> I can't think of his actual name. <laughs> Michael J. Fox. Michael, it got changed to Michael J. Fox. But originally I'm it was. That Martin McFly was played by Martin McFly. <laughs> the irony. Um, but uh, yeah, it was originally Eric Stoltz. I'm glad it was changed because Eric Stoltz, I've never really thought much of, of him. I don't know him. He's, um, not as, he's, he's not as nice as Michael J. Fox. He always seemed quite nice. He was in the only two films. I mean, he's in a few films, sort of thing, but the ones I know him from, he's in Memphis Bell, which obviously we have, mm-hmm. you know, local 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 connection. Local links, local, yeah. Local a few people links. that are in it. Yeah. I know, exactly. So do I. Um, and also he was in The Fly 2. Oh, of course he was. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's as much as I need to know. 
he's the son of Seth Brundle. He's the son of Brundlefly. Yes. Was he a was he some kind of teen heartthrob at the time? Was there a reason why he was going oh, to be, in, and then it was yeah, because he's also in uh, some kind of wonderful. Ah, oh, that's there. There it is. Right. I was just wondering. There was a, obviously a massive. He was obviously a big hitter back in nineteen eighty in nineteen eighty two eighty three when they yeah. were making it. So. He, he was one of those coming through on the back of the uh, sort of uh, Breakfast Club lot. The, the Brat Pack. Brat Pack. Yes. So I, th- I don't think he was part of the Brat Pack, but I think he was in that sort of young Hollywood lesser uh, Brat Pack stars coming up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sort of. What's what's less the than a pack. brat? The Runt Pack. <laughs> the, the Rat Pack. It explains why he wasn't in it because he was one of the Runt Pack. Yeah. yeah. No, but what you know, you know, Back to the Futures it is a great, it is a classic, great though, and it is great. even now I watch that and sit and enjoy it. It's a good laugh. Yeah, it is. It's a great film. Perfect great cast. Film. Uh, Perfect and it, cast. Yeah. And and stood stood the test of time. Sixth mm. uh, of December, Turtle Diary. Mm, not one I'd heard of. <laughs> not one I'd heard of as well. So I, I did look it up. Uh, I mentioned this to you early, sort of thing. Um, this is a film starring Glenda Jackson, Ben Kingsley, and Michael Gambon about oh writers' block, about writers' block, um, zoos, and breaking turtles free from captivity. Sounds really enthralling, yeah. and something that I know I would not have wanted to have seen. Can you imagine going to the cinema and having a choice? Uh, Back to the Future, Turtle Diary. Oh, which one shall I see? How many relationships ended when you were going on that <laughs> key date with uh, your new girlfriend? And she went, I really want to see Turtle Diary. And you're looking at the screen at Back to the Future going, you're going on your own. And from here on in, you're single. <laughs> you're you going on your own. You're always yeah. going on your own. Yeah, you're going on your own. T- yeah, you want to watch people save turtles, do it in your own time on your own dollar. I'm off. I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah. I'm off <laughs> End of line for you. End of line. <laughs> <laughs> She wouldn't get that reference. And that's also another reason to get rid of her. Absolutely, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This person does not deserve your time. You don't get me. You don't get my crazy in-jokes. You don't get anything about me. I'm off to see Back to the Future. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm crying to my popcorn. I'm on my own. I'm on my own again. (laughs) Again. It's because they don't understand Tron references. Yeah, and they don't understand that saving turtles is an important part of an ecosystem. (laughs) Much more than going back in time. Yeah. <laughs> to, to avoid the Libyans. And also, you know, later in adult life, you learn the payoff. You go and see the crap movies, you get the, you know, the jiggy jiggy. <laughs> <laughs> what, the dancing? Yes, that's exactly what I meant, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. This is a PG podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I said jiggy jiggy, for goodness sake. Goodness Absolutely. me. I meant, and I meant played, you know, playing games with jigsaws, possibly Jenga, all the jiggy Jenga games. Listening to some Will Smith. <laughs> getting jiggy, yeah, getting jiggy with it, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Watching uh, Jigsaw on TV. <laughs> no, movie. That's rubbish. terrifying. Awful. Um, also, the, the program with Nosy Bonk. Oh, um, no, 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 no Nosy Bonk, no. No, uh, 13th of December, a week, a week after Turtle Diary, you could have uh, sealed the uh, sealed the deal by taking them to see Legend, mm. the Ridley Scott's Ridley Scott's Legend mm. with uh, Mia Sarah and Tom Cruise, and correct? Tim, yes, Tim Cur- and Tim Curry, if I remember yes. rightly. Um, yes, interesting film. That's one word you can use for <laughs> Legend. One word. I think mixed up is a film. Yeah. is a film where it's it is just mixed up with the with the wrong soundtrack. Because the original soundtrack for it, it was now I can't remember. Was it released with the Tangerine Dream soundtrack, or did the, was it released with the Jerry Goldsmith soundtrack? And then who cares? It's films with unicorns and devils and horses and Tom Cruise. All of it was filmed in a studio, so there was no external shots in it whatsoever. It's all filmed in a soundstage, all of it. Um, so wow. that makes it quite interesting. And it's Ridley Scott. That's quite interesting. And it's got Tim Curry playing a 
devil-y character. I don't think it's called the devil in it, though. He's called something else, like knight or devilish. I don't know, but, you know, it's all right. It's all about unicorns, isn't it? And uh... well, did and this the, the thing that <laughs> they filmed the unicorn bit in this, didn't they? and then that was inserted into Blade Runner. Yeah, painfully inserted into Blade Runner. Uh, yeah. And then people said that oh, it wasn't. It was filmed before to prove he was a replicant. replicant but, yeah, because like, well, that's it? Yeah, that's exactly how you prove that a in a film that's as complex <laughs> as Blade Runner to answer the debate of whether he was a, a android replicant or not. Well, not android, are they? But whether there is a replicant or not. Just put in a insert a sequence of him dreaming about a unicorn, and that means you know. Yeah, but he's it ties there. in with the the origami bit at the end, doesn't it? When he makes the unicorn. Well, that's the that's the link that everyone makes, but that's isn't that just convenient? <laughs> <laughs> Would have been, I just think there's easier ways to make out that he's you know an Nexus Six. If he just came up on a screen that said, "Oh, he's an Nexus Six, it would have been easier to cope with. You don't need to go to that mystery. But the whole point is that he didn't know he was. Uh, but actually, it turns out he wasn't. Or is, is he? I don't bloody know. Who knows? Who knows? I don't and think only Ridley, Ridley Scott cares. I don't think even Ridley Scott or Hampton no. Fancher cares or knows. No. You know, There's some nice bits in either. Legend. You know, there is some nice fantasy imagery in Legend. It has oh, that shimmer yeah. of uh, some great... And the, some of the early makeup effects in it. And um, you know, none of this is digital CG stuff here. It's all proper old school makeup effects. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to say something that, you know, let's say all of the creature effects, except for the devil's horns... Because when he runs across the screen, they wobble around like great big plastic bloody horns. <laughs> so that's a bit off-putting. But the look and feel of the makeup on his face, and the aside from the giant plastic horns, if uh, everything else is kind of incredible that there's people under that makeup. And hours and hours of painstaking application of you know mm-hmm. complex makeup and prosthetics and all that stuff. Amazing, amazing to look at. Just a pity that the film pretty much makes no sense whatsoever. No, no. So let's move on. And we all got um, a bit of bit, we all got a bit giddy about Mia Sauer in that film. Everybody she's does. Very, she's very pretty. Yeah, she's very yes, very nice. Yes, yes. Um, or, or Tom Cruise, if that's your if that's your bag. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, he's a good um, looking guy. Yeah. Nice teeth. He's very nice teeth. Very good teeth. And boy, that boy can run. Yes, um, he can run and leap. And, he can run and, and, and leap. ride a motorbike and take a take his top off. And a unicorn. The, the Tom Cruise bingo. <laughs> This is Tom Cruise bingo. It's what you do with his films these days. He's running. I, you know, I've not heard of that, but I imagine that he's, he's quite. He does quite a lot of that in his films, doesn't he? Running about, so. takes his top off, runs, rides a motorbike, looks for how yes. often he does those things. Quite a lot. Okay. Yeah. Um, even in Born on the Fourth of July, which is really weird when he's running in that. Twentieth um, yes. uh, of December. So we've got a Michael J. Fox double bill um, this month because we've got mm. Teen Wolf comes out. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. It's it's okay, isn't yeah. it? It's it's. That's the best you can say about it. It's you know, it spawned a sequels and a and a TV show and weirdness, didn't it? Sort of thing. It's Cartoon kind of one of those, as well, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of one of those weird sort of inexplicable, inexplicable, sorry, inexplicable successes. It did quite yeah. well at the box office, but it obviously probably did quite well in the box office on the back of Back to the Future. Let's yeah, not and beat around in the all bush fairness, here. Michael J. Fox, um, oh, Teen Wolf, as he's known, because that's his other name. There, he's known as Mike McFly in brackets, Teen Wolf, um, <laughs> which is ironic, really, with him being cast as the Teen Wolf. No, it's harmless comedy fun, wasn't it? But Michael J. Fox is quite good in those kind of roles as that kind of sort of idiotic teenage kind of student-y vibe kind of character, you know, school, high school kind of vibe. He kind of pulls it off in Back to the Future. In Teen Wolf, he's kind of the same sort of thing. He's just fun. And they're fun films. There's a few funny scenes in it as well. Yeah. But, you know, did it need to spawn the endless amounts of sequels and cartoons and merchandise and all that sort of stuff? I don't know. It felt a bit more American. I don't don't think it's... No, and around this time, we're getting, um, of course, um, American Wolf in London 
it will appear at some point. And that yeah. puts an end to anything well, nice about no, werewolves no, for the rest no, of time. American Werewolf in London was about 81, 82. Or was it before this? Oh, yeah, oh, right. yeah. So, so, well, and then that's this was this is the American's answer to that. So, And this is classic hair on the face, hairy palms kind of territory, isn't it? And he's got a, he's got a basketball, as I remember. So, I think this is the... Because this is the sort of, you know, the... Antithesis you know, of thing, that. Thingy, thingy cycle, isn't it? So you had American Werewolf and had the howling. Yeah. Um, it started the werewolf. And you've probably got some... Still thinking, and then this is the spoof. This yeah, is the yeah. when it. Be, yeah, this yeah. is when it becomes the pastiche. Yeah, um, yeah. Of, of that sort of thing. It happened. It happened. Um, yeah. Anyway, so Teen Wolf. Yeah, uh, fun comedy, fun, and like you say, it was the antithesis to all the really horrific um, werewolf yeah. movies. So it, they always go that way, don't they? You know. Yeah, they do. Start with so, the horror ones and end with the comedies. They do. That's the horror cycle. American Wolf in London was a comedy, kind of. Uh, yeah, Apart from all the yeah, violent death, the gore. You know, the, oh, the areas yeah. bits in that, and, and, and the softcore porn. Yeah, yeah. Apart from that, oh, that scene is crazy. <laughs> Jenny Agatha, goodness me! I watched. No, I'm if I watched that bit. recently, I'm, I'm not about that bit. I'm about the bit in the cinema. Oh, oh God! Yeah, seen it Wednesday. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> You're in the wrong you house. Know, I told you, no one's <laughs> Who the hell are you? Oh, sorry, I'm in the wrong house. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> I know. Uh, to this day. All right, let's move on. That's your films, films and TV. So we had Back to the Future, Turtle Diary, Legend, Teen Wolf, Bootsy and Snudge. <laughs> um, Muppet Babies Wogan heading off to Dynasty uh, Roland getting drunk in a thingy and calling names at people while covered in kebab uh, yes covered in snudge Ch- Terry Strong covering up uh, Arthur Daly's rampage on the Minder on the Orange yep. Express uh, and cheeriness with the Tanko lot yeah um, there you go there you go I think that sums it up uh, yep. so we'll, we'll be back in a brief moment because that's the films of TV we'll be back with the last lot of games from December 1985, so please stay with us. Welcome back to the final part uh, of this episode of Zap to the Past. We've got four more games to look at, um, and then that's us done. Then we've got our, we'll look at there's one, one game not covered, some crap verts and charts. Uh, and see what we've got coming up next next week. Um, so, uh, our first game in this section is Ace. We've looked at the crap vert, uh, the advert last week. Um, and so this is Ace, 995. Um, fast and solid air combat sim, maybe. Sort of thing is probably maybe what I would say. But, Graham, what, what would you say uh, about Ace? So it's an aircraft simulator, emulator, simulator. I think it goes for more of the combat arcade action angle. So it tries to speed things up a bit. So it's simplified some of the controls that normally these games are plagued by super complex controls or over complex controls. And I'm not saying this hasn't got some complex controls in it because it has. But I think it's simplified them to make it more uh, approachable. So, so you can get into it a bit more. You've got a nice, quite a nice graphic visual display. The setup is quite nice. So you've got sort of different views. It, it's a flight game. So obviously you apply thrust, take off. Um, you need to take off from the runway. You take off and you can do different scenarios. You take off, fly in the air, shoot things. You've got, you need to refuel. So you periodically get the refuel airplane and you have to sort of dock your refueling stick, for want of a better description, with the refueling hole hose. Um, so you kind of have to, <laughs> you know, mid-flight mid, mid mating really is what it is is 
aircraft mating it's weird so you've got a map screen and you've got sort of um uh radar on there you've aircraft stuff enough stuff to be able to fly an airplane altimeters radar uh, different little visual displays simplified on the screen with a nice quite a nice big viewing area for the game and obviously your little targeter in the middle i don't know what they call that target reticule or something like that and then mm-hmm. it falls into kind of familiar territory with chunks of blue and chunks of green and graphic displays of ground sky things to shoot at they're a little bit less floaty waspy than other games we've played they're still fast it moves at quite a pace my problem was that with a lot of these games um you're kind of whizzing around and you know and that's that's the point you're in an airplane right um so you're whizzing around flying around so you can go in there sort of take on different there's air superiority i think you can do ground and there's stuff you can do there's quite a lot of weapons to this quite a lot of stuff so you either like flight emulators simulators or you don't i am not a big fan of them and i don't particularly like this kind of viewpoint that isn't to say that this is out of all the ones we played and we played some real stinkers of this type this isn't bad it's okay i, I actually preferred skyfox in the term in the way it kind of did dog fights but that's just i think it was more of an it, it went for the more arcade angle this goes for the more arcade, but more simulatory arcade angle, so there's more controls over it. There's some nice tricks and nice tips to this. I like the fact that you've got different missile types and different stuff, and you have to sort of do the selection and think about what you're doing. You can't just go in and just gunfight at the OK Corral and just blow everyone out of the sky. It's not that kind of game. You've got to think about things. You've got fuel to think about. You've got limited resources, and you can't. You have infinite missiles and infinite bullets. So you've got that kind of that kind of reality sting to it. But at its core, the problem with it as with most of these games for me, is that the C64 isn't just very strong at these games. So it's not a strength of the Commodore 64 graphics. It's not a strength of its color. It's just not a strength of its ability to pull them off in any meaningful way. You either have lots of complexity and high-res stuff, which makes the game borderline impenetrable, or you get oversimplified graphics, which makes it seem just a bit too monochromatic, or not even monochromatic, but just a bit blue-green. This does get the balance a bit better, so it is a bit more playable, but I don't generally like simulators, so I kind of get tired of trying to figure out all the controls and do all that stuff. However, if you like... No, a bit of simulator mixed with some dogfighting and shooting. This is probably the best of that bunch that I've come across so far. What about you? I think I'm a, maybe a little bit more positive than you. I, I quite enjoyed my time with this. I found it, like I said, a fast and solid air combat sim uh, or emulator. I've noted that it, it felt, as you've actually pointed out, so I think it's more realistic than Sky Fox and is probably mm. better better for it. I think I... Uh, more, I, you know, I don't want Stimmy. So when we, what was the other one we played? The, the Harrier Jump Jet mm. one. This had a sort of a, a really good middle ground, so there was a sense of not out and out realism, but again, nice maps. It was really fast. Mm. Mm. Um, I have to give it, you know, great sensation speed and, and the combat sort of thing. And when you actually found some airplanes to have a dogfight with, it was actually really quite fun. Zipping around, turning around, spinning around, shooting stuff. The refueling section I actually found genuinely tense um, <laughs> because, like, coming up behind it sort of thing, and you try to just go a bit faster, a bit faster, or slower, slower, a bit faster. Uh, and then you're trying to sort of like like you said sort of thing you're just trying to thread thread the nozzle into the hole <laughs> it's like uh, <laughs> in midair at 240 miles an hour that's that's quite the feat which I failed to do I just said you collided and blew up <laughs> so I was like oh damn it I spent ages trying to go in, trying to thread the nozzle <laughs> and so I tried again and, and I enjoyed my time I really enjoyed my time with this I thought once because uh, at first I crashed 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 because then it kept telling me you've gone too fast with the undercarriage up and I was like well, how do I look the undercarriage and eventually i found, figured out the controls so listen to the carriage flew around a bit crashed into the ground a few times got got to get some bearing with it understood it sort of thing i like the hud, HUD display sort of thing with the uh the graphic representation of the plane showing you how far down and up you're sort of facing left and right nice easy controls for thrust and going for faster and hey, there's 
you know, flipping between the different weapons was nice. And it, it just felt like a, an, an enjoyable an enjoyable game. It's it sort of in that middle ground, you know, showing... I've, I've put, it's, it's probably the best day of combat scene we've seen so far, a sign of moving on from the rubbish we have seen, which mm-hmm. is, you know, what you noted as well. So stuff like Megalias, ah. th- things, like, <laughs> things like that. Fighter pilot, what was the other dog-awful one we saw earlier on? Or, you know, glider pilot or something. Mm-hmm. You know, th- these kind of rubbish sort of flight sims. And this, this feels like... Yes, you're probably right in that the C64 is is, is stretching it a bit to sort of try and represent flying, you know, because you've only got a couple of greens and a couple of blues and what have you. So there's only so much you can do, and you you know you you are forced with that. And there's only so much you can do with you know what, what the C64 can fly, throw around something. But this to me was this controls felt sensitive mm. and responsive, which a lot of them don't do. But this actually felt you know you were, you could turn, you could speed up, you could do, you know it was it was. It was good. I, I I enjoyed my time with this. I can see why why they liked it. I think I'm a bit more favourable on it than you. I get that if you're not a fan of this sort of stuff, this is not going to convert you to it because it's it's more of one of them. It's a good one of them. I could see why you would between this and Skyfox. I think you've got a you've got a good couple of couple of games in it. I don't think it really matters which one you wear on the side of. They're both pretty decent, mm-hmm. and so they do offer a a kind of experience that that, that started to show that actually. There is some fun to be had in doing this sort of thing on the C64. It's not perfect, but you know, if you squint enough, you can put, put yourself there. And as long as you take that step, I think this is actually a. a I, I enjoyed it. So I was quite positive on this. I thought it was all right. It's not terrible. You know, we've played far worse than this. It's just you either like these games or you don't. Um, and I find them a bit fl- flittery and but and fluttery and uh, frustrating that the airplane that you're trying to target seems to jud around the screen all over the place. And this one's better at it, don't get me wrong. And they do look a bit more like airplanes and they are on the screen for a bit longer. So you do get to sort of experience that idea that you're chasing something, whereas, of course, in Skyfox, blinking, you'd miss what you were <laughs> looking at. Yeah. Um, so yeah. this does, yeah. just, it does have tonally, it's better. And I said, the, the UI on the game, the simplified UI is actually quite good. And that works better because the other ones featured just complex attempts at a dashboard of an aeroplane with lots of meaningless controls. You know, what you need to know are the things that's on that display. You know, how high are you in the air? How much fuel have you got? How fast are you going? Those are the key things you need to really know and a radar to show where you're aiming at. And, and it's, it sort of borrows a little bit of the kind of layout from maybe the elites and things like that in the terms of its kind of radar. And if you're going to do it, do it like that. Sim- you need, simplification isn't a bad thing if it makes the game more fun in this instance. So I, I just don't get on with these kind of games generally. That's just my my thing i could understand that and i think you're right something it's not a case of uh, you know you, you don't want a 747's worth of dials and things on the on your hoods up display sort of thing because the resolution of the commodore 64 is just not going to allow it no. you're not going to be able to put it on there in any kind of sense this is as good as we've got sort of thing i maybe think probably maybe the rescue on fractalis mm. heads up display was probably as good maybe a little bit better but yeah. it's on par especially you know skyfox is as good as well they're, they're under, i think these three games fractalis ace and skyfox show that there's kind of an understanding in the people that are making these games about how to actually convey the information that you need to the players yeah and and actually uh, keep it simple but also as well keep that pace of the actual game as well because that, that's kind of what you want yeah um no i i, I like this i thought this was fun and i was happy with happy with my time with it because you never know with these kind of games whether you're going to be overwhelmed with with button presses and prompts and stuff and whether it's going to be any good because because sometimes the review can be misleading and they they like a certain thing that was technically good for its time but hasn't stood the test of time mm. I think in this case, this actually felt like like a, a fast, fun title that I, I enjoy my time with. Uh, it's better than the advert. At least I didn't wasn't chased by any Tetris blocks. <laughs> no, the advert did not sell this game well, which is a shame. But I noticed on the advert, at least it had screenshots of the game and they did look like the game. So that's never it a bad does, thing. yeah. But there you go. Hey, mm. I think fairly positive. Um, good way to start. Uh, on to our next one. 
is Black Witch. So, Black Witch, another ultimate play the game Sir Arthur Pendragon um, adventure. I'm guessing if you played previous games of Staff of Karna, after that, Entombed, which we have covered, uh, you kind of got a good sense of what um, Black Witch is. A series of games that uh, the ultimate made for the C64. Mm. That uh, the character called Sir Arthur, Pan- Arthur Pendragon, seen from a kind of forced perspective 3D effect. So this is an early, early, early example of that. This is what they did uh, in, in lieu of their sort of isometric stuff that they were doing on the spectrum. Entombed found... Uh, I, I don't remember much about Staff of Karnath. I think it was in some kind of castle. Entombed found Arthur Pendragon at the, in, uh, the bottom of a pyramid, trying to puzzle his way out of that. And Black Witch finds you on a on a boat, uh, a pirate ship called the Black Witch, where you are in search of the captain's soul that has been imprisoned long ago. If you played Entombed, if you've played Safganath, it's more of the same. Mm. Um, very much so sort of thing, except this time you wear a cloak uh, and not some kind of uh, sort of shell suit like you were wearing in <laughs> Entombed. <laughs> so if you like Entombed, this is just, it's just more of the same. I was not as much of a fan of Entombed as you were, it's fair to say. This is just more of that, so there's more jumping with the one of the most annoying jumping sounds i've, I've come across mm. in games um oh my god there's more respawning enemies again yeah. um and so the first thing is is head, head left find the first door get menaced by some skeletons and find a sword so it has that that problem again where they've not figured out how to do jumping or fighting you have to switch between the two yeah i never quite understood what the i don't know whether there was something with the jumping sort of thing because i never really saw the point of it if i was honest i never got anywhere that i needed to jump no i agree the main sprite is okay it's quite well animated i like i like what you look like when you sword fight up or down it's kind of a nice animation so there's some nice little bits the backgrounds are good uh, if they're a bit samey kind of like entombed the enemies are awful they're awful it's supposed to be a puzzle game as you're trying to puzzle your way through the five five decks of the ship of the, of the Black Witch and you know you, find, you pick up objects you find stuff it's one of those you know you're puzzling your way through it's kind of finding objects to sort of solve puzzles that's what it is but you're constantly menaced by annoying there's two harpies or whatever they are that are constantly fluttering around you that you can sword fight and kill them but they just come straight back again every now and again uh, the most annoyingly sound affected squid will just randomly fly around um, and then a cannonball will just roll across the screen and, and follow you up and down as well which beggars belief in the sound yeah. way of physics they, they took nothing from the issues with Entomb looked at you know looking at other games maybe thinking, and this is quite fast after Entomb it's not many months you know there's a production line schedule going on here. I don't know if it's the same people who made it I, I'm not sure I'm, I'm presuming it was but if, it's using, clearly using a lot of the same code sort of the same visuals visual code behind it sort of thing even though the visuals are different it's just annoying I don't like these games I don't like these uh, ultimate play ultimate play the games games on, on the C64 they're just not for me they're just we looked at something like Frankie Goes to Hollywood a few few episodes back and how that did away with enemies and allowed you to explore the time and the space to explore there is a time and a place for enemies the time and the place for enemies is not all the bloody time mm. and that it just puts me off these games because I don't enjoy them I don't enjoy the it, this is at its best there are moments in this where I quite enjoyed it when you're in a room and you're trying to figure something out and there's no enemies and you, it's a little puzzle it's like yeah this is great but walking from room to room down those long endless corridors, I don't know how big this ship is. Um, it's <laughs> massive. They just seem to have not learned anything from one game to the next. They were high on the high on their own gold medal juice from Entombed. I thought we'll just make another one of them. And no, uh, I've just ended this. It's an adventure too far for Arthur. It didn't do anything for me. I, I, I like visually nice gameplay. No, I don't know whether you liked it. It's the worst one of them all. The problem is, as you've rightly pointed out, 
it's just the relentless enemies in this game just ruin it. And you, you barely get away with it in Entombed and you've got to persevere with that. This one, it's just relentless. From the second you start the game, they're just on you and there's the annoying noises that go with them and it just ruins what could have been a really good game. If you didn't have those in it and you just encountered enemies in certain locations and in certain ways and had to avoid them or figure out how to get around them as opposed to them just continuously bombarding you all the time. It's, it's just a shame, really, because I think... There could have been something really great with this game. Sort of, I wouldn't say it's just a disaster. If you liked the others, you're probably going to like it more than perhaps it, sh- it deserves. Um, and there's bits to like in there. Some of the graphics are, you know, they're blocky, but they're kind of cool in their own. They're in their own world, in their own way. The colours are good. You know, some of the little puzzles are quite nice, but it's no fun because you're just mm. continuously being. I mean, even getting the sword is a hassle, and then using the sword is a hassle. And like you say, why, why this elaborate? jump not jump use the sword it's just stupid and difficult and pointless for me it kind of you know it was the i I enjoyed entombed a lot more than i enjoyed this one and i found it you know graphically even the story's appealing and stuff the only thing that i find quite endearing about this is that if you look into the documentation that went with black witch and the documentation that went with the two entombed and these sort of ultimate play of the games if you look in there especially for this one because there's in the manual that came with it there's a whole sort of obviously you get all the description of the log of the ship and all that kind of stuff but if you really read into in amongst all of that you can see the beginnings the games that they all came out later so not the ultimate play the game ones but all of the the games that came out on the bigger consoles so all of the rare games and all of that the genesis of those is obviously the stampers and that this is where it all they began it but if you look into the looking if you look at for example the poem that comes with this game which is uh, beneath these decks there is a room where time has almost sealed my doom and less with effort long and all that kind of stuff if you look at that and then put it into a rare game context for something like Banjo or not Banjo is it? yeah mm. Banjo and stuff like that you'll start to see, yeah. you can start to see the early seeds of where they were going to head it's quite I just found that quite interesting that's an aside from the game which is kind of a dull snoozy blocky bore but I thought the <laughs> the manual because you can go onto um, onto the internet and search for Black Witch manual and, and there's, so there's somebody that that's taken the time to scan all the blurbs and everything so you can read through all of that and actually if you take the time as I have done to read through the blurb for that and for the other Ultimate Play the Game titles in there you really can start to see how Rare became and how the language of Rare that's in those games and the little poems and the things that they say in the Rare games that come later, way later it's all in there it's quite fascinating to see so you know for those that like that kind of game history and stuff like that I'd recommend you do take a minute to go and do that and have a look at that because it's interesting mm. it's better than playing the game which was annoyingly stupid and, and frustrating so I got more out of reading the little blurb out and the, it says a lot doesn't it about the game I enjoyed the advertising blurb more than I enjoyed getting repeatedly annoyed by that stupid stupid octopus thing oh it yeah. drove me mad it's supposed to be a you know a deserted pirate ship yeah why does that why does it even an octopus flying octopus attack you it makes no sense even in a game of this type it's just you know and then that stupid skeleton thing when you die and grabs you and oh just no no too hard too hard as a game don't make them this difficult you know the other games plague with enemies like that is, is that an ultimate thing because they all seem to do it don't they that relentless swarm of enemies all the time it's like all the platformers we play your Brian Blood Axes your Manic Miners your Monty on the Run mm. stuff. you've got to have lots of things moving around you, you can't leave the player alone that's why that's what made Frankie Goes to Hollywood so mm. good Yeah, we said this at the time we said it in our review of Frank O'Sullivan that they were confident enough to just leave you alone. Yeah. We see it in games now. You play Horizon Zero Dawn or something. I don't know these are completely massively different games that you play Grand Theft Auto. And a lot of the fun in those games sort of thing is just 
being on your own mm. in the environment and exploring and the, the environment challenging you. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be those massive blockbuster video games. We saw it in Frankie Goes to Hollywood. You can see it in, in other games that we probably have liked where the, the challenge is not you having to avoid a thousand badly drawn single colour sprites. And I know that it's a product of the time and this is what's changed sort of thing, but you can see in certain games that they get it, they mm. understand. And in other games, they're still clinging to a, a, a sort of what was becoming a quite quickly an outdated paradigm yeah. of design. Yeah, it's legacy arcade in a way, isn't it? That idea that you just bombard them relentlessly with stuff to get them moving to keep them to keep it feel like, feeling like a game with lots of frantic action bombard them with enemies all the time as opposed to just let that person explore and it's just this artificial padding of doing mm. stuff it's like leave me the hell alone to explore this it's just it ruined what could have been something quite interesting I think especially here yeah anyway I think that's enough about Black Witch we've laboured our point yes it's not, it's not, we don't particularly like it no. because of those problems yes let's move on uh, and now we come to uh, our second to last game, and that game is Codename Matt 2. Mm. Uh, a space thing. Um, 3D <laughs> space thing. Space thing. <laughs> go on, go on. You explain it better. Well, it's it's the... It's the sequel to Codename Matt, for a start, which I think was released on the Commodore 64. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't. Gone to the review, it never came out on the yeah, so I was thinking, so it's essentially, so it's a sequel to a game that was never on the platform it's been released on. You take her on the role of the Matt person, who is a... <laughs> <laughs> Matt? Oh, I think it stands for something, but I can't remember. But anyway, you're Matt, and you're the pilot of a spaceship, and you're battling the Mayans, or the Mayans. No, it can't be the Mayans, it'd be the Mayans. In the sequel here, you've got the same sort of thematic, so it's essentially an elite type game so it's a space shooter that kind of perspective it's got that kind of uh, strategic element to it so it's a game where you've you know you've got two different kinds of weapons you can select them with different key commands you can fly around it moves at a reasonable pace so it's quite nippy and um, you got to explore and to do this stuff now for me what that meant in my world was speeding up slowing down speeding up <laughs> slowing down and moving around at looking at stars because no matter how i tried i could not find anything to shoot at nothing so I just floated around space doing nothing <laughs> so i'm guessing in there somewhere there's stuff to do it's meant to be kind of elite elite-ish but not quite starion-ish but not quite space strategy shooter-ish but not quite with weird spectrum like graphics as well so sort of very high resi but kind of monocolor layered graphics so it just felt like there's a it felt to me like there's probably a lot of game in there but i never discovered it i figured out how i could change my lasers into some other weapon and i could speed up with the keys one to five and go to warp mode which period overheated my engines but no matter how far i went in space i could not find a damn thing to shoot at or talk to or do anything with so other than that that i managed to do um your new ship the centurion 2 which is an advance on the original ship from codename matt does more stuff so it's got more weapons it's got more complex systems it can even repair itself and do all that sort of stuff which is great when you've actually got stuff to repair i had nobody attack me nobody did anything i just kind of you know hoid myself around space looking for myons <laughs> And couldn't find any. So I don't know what I was doing wrong or whether I'd done something wrong. Did you find Mayans to shoot at? Because I couldn't find a single one. I just before, <laughs> I'm just going to say, just before um, I, I, I say about my game sort of thing, I do find it, because I'm going to pretty much say the same sort of thing, uh, there's not a lot to do here, that I find it ironic that we're going to knock this game for having nothing to do with. We just spent 10 minutes telling, <laughs> moaning at Blackwitch for t- constantly bombarding us and leaving it to not leave us alone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> leave us alone. And then a game leaves well, us alone. No. Like, oh, you're boring. We're saying <laughs> not leave us alone. <laughs> Leave us alone and let us explore the area. This game, stuff, yeah, yeah. This, and there's stuff to explore. This game, it's just space. Now, the one space thing, is, as you've rightly pointed out, space <laughs> is, is full of space. There's a lot of stuff in there. <laughs> yeah. You know, but I just, it's just like. 
these two right next to each other. It's like one constantly yeah. got bars and one yeah. leaves nothing. It's like, oh, find the happy yeah, medium. Found, yeah, the happy medium. You know, I'd have, I was at one point when I was playing Codename Matt 2, just praying for something to happen. Well, this is a port from the Spectrum and Amstrad. So, and it really shows the use of colors, the visuals. They look like Spectrum Amstrad visuals. They have that high res, single color look yeah. to them. Um, I, I, you know, it was when you change weapons, the slow animation of one mm. one weapon going in and the other coming out is like, uh, uh, yeah, I put Baron and Dull. Um, it moves smoothly, like you said, yeah. it is quite smooth, it's quite fast. Um, the plot, according to Zap, is oh, I, I said earlier on about you know, that what was the what was the, the scroll of Worsley or something or whatever oh, it was? Yeah, the, yeah, this, is, this has got some words in it, this one. This has got great, and I was going to read this bit out of Zap sort of thing because this just uh, the Mayans are an evil bunch of aliens set on destroying the energy collection grid based around the planet Vesta, a planet rich with the famed substance Carillium, the most precious substance in the known universe. Uh, like, yes. Uh, someone's gone Someone's gone to sci-fi. <laughs> What's uh, Carillium? It's, it's like unobtainium. <laughs> Carillium, it's like, it's like Marillion's evil twin band. <laughs> no, they're, they're Car- Are you Marillion? No, we're Carillium. We, we sound a lot like them. You re- we released a song called Melee. Yeah, our lead singer's called Dolphin. <laughs> Michael Fish, but with a PH. <laughs> yeah. Michael Fish. We, we, call him, we, we call him Alkali Fish. <laughs> yeah, cod. His pH, his pH is 8.7. <laughs> that's that's bizarre. needlessly scientific. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there is some very crazy ways in it. They're in the, what's the name of the war they're involved in? It's the... I want to say teriyaki, but I can't remember. It's something stupid. Oh, I don't know. And there, I seem to remember there was, the, there was orbiting the planet... Um, I can't remember. Well, Carillium is mega form of baby biogon here. One small pinch and the desert becomes a thriving jungle. So it's like Star Trek. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's yeah. Star Trek Wrath of Khan, Genesis, yeah. The Genesis, Genesis, Genesis project, device, yeah. The Genesis device. Vesta's energy grid also happens to be Earth's most important power source. Hmm. Of course so they've sort of watched Star Trek The Wrath of Khan for this then, have they? <sighs> it's all just nonsense. But, um, the first time I played this out, yeah, I whizzed around and at some point I did something wrong because I blew up. Um, I think something overheated. I don't know what went on. You uh, probably so used your again. warp. That's why I did. I, I did use my warp, yes. I thought you were supposed to use your warp because going nowhere at warp, non-warp speed mm. was ridiculous. Um, then the second time, I did actually find something. I found some spaceships that killed me in about two seconds. That's I don't the know Mayans. Spice stuff. I mean, that's just, I, I presume that was the Mayans, yes. <laughs> like we said, sort of thing, there is, a, there is a fine balance to get, or a decent balance. There's quite a good middle ground to get between annoying the player with too much stuff and not having enough stuff to do and just allowing the player. And there's probably, you know, if you like, you know, again, if you like this elite style, because we, I mean, we, we knocked elite sort of thing, we're not mm. really having a lot to do, and there isn't really, but also we knocked elite for quite a few things. Um, and this is similar sort of thing. It's just, it's one of those ideas which sounds good on paper, flying around space, shooting stuff, you know, uh, on that, in that cool sort of thing. But as we've said, space is massive mm. and empty. Most, there is, there's a reason why it's called space. Um, and so just chucking you in the middle of it with nothing really going on sort of thing, it just felt, I don't know. And, and being a sequel to a game I have no connection with, yeah. Because I, you know, I didn't own a Spectrum on Amstrad. I, I, get, I, I gave not two shits nope. at all for any of this. And so I, I had two two full, you know, decent goes at it, and I was like, no, nah, no, not for no, me. just just not for me either. Could have no. done without it. No, and I didn't like the um, idea of having a green spaceship with yellow laser turrets for some reason. Spectrum, spectrum yeah, that's heritage. what I mean. I'm just like, no. I, if I, if look, if I'm I'm buying the spaceship here, all right, it's my spaceship. 
And I want it in the colours I want it in. And that's Battleship Grey or, you know, dark colours, cool colours. Green and yellow. What, who are yeah, these crazies? No, yeah, exactly. It's just, it's because those are the Dante eight colours. That's the eight colours that the Spectrum had. So, yeah. <laughs> one of them. And that's what them. it was. You, you, could, you could tell them sort of thing because it's got those, like I said, single colour high-res sprite yeah. things, which you, you know, as soon as you see that, it's like, this has not come from a 64 no. like we've seen before. Turn it off. Knows a yes odd. Yeah. You can see those kind of heri- where those heritage have come from. So no, codename Matt Two is a is a no go for me. No, I'm afraid no. And on to our last game. So our last game for December issue uh, and and for this episode is Crazy Comet. Now I thought. I knew this was by Simon Nickel, um, and I thought he'd done more, so I had to look up from something, but he didn't do very much, you know. No, um, he did work Crazy no, really, Comets, Mega Apocalypse, didn't he, he as well? He, he did Mega Apocalypse sequel. He did Tornado Low Level, if you remember that. I remember that, yeah. Uh, he did that sort of thing, and then he didn't do anything, because this was like 85, Mega Apocalypse 87, and then according to, well, according to Lemon 64, you know, I don't know, you find out about these people, his next game was Back to the Future 3. Ninety-one, random. I know it's a strange game, uh, strange series. So uh, this is a single, let's say a a single screen uh, shoot 'em up, fast paced. It is based on the arcade game Mad Planets, in which a series the the work the universe has gone mental. It's gone crazy. Something's happened to the fabric of the universe, which is making planets go supernova and want to bounce around and explode for some strange reason. You pilot what must be. It strangely looks like um, a bit of a Star Destroyer. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like some kind of Star Destroyer. So you pilot this ship, firing upwards while planets appear small at first and obviously grow in size, whether they're coming towards you. I never could quite figure out whether it's 3D or whether they're just growing. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure. But they get bigger, and you basically got to shoot them before they grow full size because then they can take a lot of damage and it takes a lot to kill them. That's it, really. There's there's other things to kill, sort of things, some some more objects to kill. And this is a wave-based shooter, so the more waves go on, the more appears. It's, it's an arcade game. You pump your money in, you shoot your way through wave after wave after wave of increasing difficulty. But on the good side... It's a really fast, fun, and frenetic arcade game. I really like this. It will get bettered with Mega Apocalypse, which comes a bit later. But as the as the first outing for this kind of thing, this is really good, and it's helped again by a cracking Hubbard tune. The soundtrack to this is great, and and as we've said before, lifts a semi decent game to a possibly a great game, a really good, enjoyable game. Uh, the whole package what becomes really fun once Hubbard's tunes kick in. And to be fair, I'd almost forgotten about this. And then when it kicked in, it instantly came back. And this is one of my favorite Hubbard tunes. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, really like this sort of thing. There's, there's loads uh, there's loads like this. So it, it, I'm probably going to, every month as we hear another one, I go, oh, yeah, it's possibly my favorite. This is probably my favorite. But as I've noted here, we've not got to Zoid yet. And I'd love the Zoid's tune. This is a really good fun. We, we, you know, we ended up the, the last episode with Zed. Um, and now we end up with Crazy Comets, two really fun arcade shoot 'em up. It is, it is what it is. It's a high score chasing shoot 'em up thing. You can perfect each round by destroying every planet before it becomes a full planet. Therefore, allows you to get bonus to the skill involved. It's hard. It's fast. Yeah, good, good shoot 'em up uh, with a great soundtrack. Great high score tune as well. Did you enjoy it? Do you like it? I am yin and yang with 
uh, Crazy Comets. I like the idea of it. I think it plays like a frantic shoot 'em up, but it's nice to see a proper shoot 'em up, which is what it is. Just a shoot 'em up. Shoot everything, kill everything, blow everything up, collect the fuel yeah. things, but blow everything else up. Um, shoot as much as possible. This is a little limitation because, of course, um, Mad Planet's the arcade. The ship could rotate round, so you could sort of move it round and, and shoot. I guess the 360. You're not the rotate on the spot, but you could move the ship round the screen and change the angle mm-hmm. of the shooting. This doesn't do that, so you're just shooting from the bottom upwards. It's a small thing, but it doesn't really affect the game that much, I don't think. Graphically, it's great. I love the visuals. The visuals in this are nice. The star effects and the spinning and the movement. This that's got lots of kinetic stuff going on in the game, so it feels quite frantic and shooty. Considering there isn't actually loads to shoot at, not generally, mm. it feels like there's more going on than there actually is. But of course, it's helped by a classic rubber band piece of music, which mm-hmm. is up there with one of his great, all of you know, one of his all-time greats. It's just fantastic. So an above-average shoot 'em up by any stretch of the imagination, because some of the little details when things explode are quite. It's got an arcade feel. There's no doubt about it. But the music just sets it head and shoulders above anything else of that type and it makes you want to play it more you know just so you can hear more of it in high school music as well brilliant so uh, yet another Rob Hubbard piece of music that comes in and makes an uh, an average game much more enjoyable it just yeah, shows you the difference exactly. it makes but there's not a lot to the mm-hmm. game Not what can you say about the game it's just I thought the graphics are okay they're not I looked at the arcade as well so obviously the Mad Planets it's not an arcade game I'd ever come across in my entire time I've ever played arcade games even when I've been to the arcade club in Manchester, they don't have. I don't think they've got a Mad Planet. So at least they didn't have that pre-Corona, of course. So we're going back a year at least. So I looked on YouTube at it, and it's you know even the way that Crazy Comets appears and the way that Mad Planets appears is the same. The mm-hmm. way the background and the swirling of the stars and the planets, it's that's the same. The only difference is that spaceship thing. Other than that, the graphics are pretty much the same. So you're actually yeah. getting a really good arcade conversion, albeit that it's a dead dead simple arcade nothing wrong with that though um, I liked it but these games you know it's like arcade arcade games the thing about an arcade game is you play it for a little bit and you walk away and you go and play another arcade are you going to keep coming back to this and try and get to level 52 after playing through 50 levels each time you play it well 51 levels hmm I don't know. It's a game that you're just gonna. You're not. It's not got a goal, a big end goal, has it? It's just do more of the same over and over again. But if you like that frantic action and you really want to listen to the whole Crazy Comet soundtrack, then you're gonna load it up just to listen to it because you can put it on the loop in the background and just keep listening to it, can't you? So yeah, and it is exceptional, even by Hubbard standards. And this is, I think, one of his early players as well. So it's not even the top graded player. So this is the you know one of the all time great Rob Hubbard pieces of music. What did it get for music in Zap? Actually, I meant to look and I think it. I think it was a ninety nine. I was gonna say. I remember it being. Really really high I just don't remember what it was but it's deserved it's deserved I mean it's it's about as when when Rob Hubbard gets it right for the game because I don't think I don't when I was playing the preview of Mad Planets the arcade I don't think there's any music in it at least I don't remember any but I certainly remember Crazy Comets for its bloody music <laughs> so. yeah exactly exactly that's, that's what we said it's lifted by that thingy sort of thing mm. but what, what's good about this sort of thing is we, we've, we've bookended this episode strangely enough and completely by accident with two non-arcade conversions mm. Uh, with Who Dares Wins 2 and Crazy Comet. Yeah. They're showing that this, we, you know, we spoke about high sorts before sort of thing, but programmers on the C64 are starting to look, looking at arcades, they've probably done it before, but actually doing really decent versions of arcade mm. games, some really good yeah. stuff. And, and I think, I don't think I've ever been really aware of Mad Planets in the arcade sort of thing. No. Probably because without the music, probably a bit dull. Yeah. But you took that music in like anything else, like a film with a good soundtrack or anything like that, it elevates it. Yeah. And, and there's nothing wrong with that because you cannot separate the two out. No. And I don't think you should, as it has a whole package sound gameplay mm. this works absolutely this, this works absolutely yep. so we like that mm. I, I do I think I probably like it a bit more new which is fair enough sort of thing, because I can see you I can see the criticisms it is it is very simple yeah it um, is I mean that's, that, that's yeah. I would say it, it is a criticism it's only that you know these games do become tiresome but I'd listen to that music any day of the week so yeah 
And like I said, the, the sequel's better. That'd be interesting when we get to that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing Mega Apocalypse. I do like that. I do remember liking it. All right, so there we go. So, Crazy Comics, that's our last game. We didn't cover one game. There was some other stuff. There was some, they started covering some strategy games because they've got, I think, Sean Masterton in sort of things. We're not looking at those. We're not looking at adventure games. The one game that they reviewed in their normal section was Colossus 4 Chess. Mm, Crikey, it sounds big and heavy. But it's chess, isn't it? What, what do you want to say about a chess game? Was Colossus one of the big super chess computers or something, a famous one or something like that? Sounds like it probably is. It probably is, yeah. But, you know, what, like Deep Blue or whatever it was. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Or... or Oh, Big Bear. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think Big Bear was one. Um, it could have been. <laughs> could well have been. Colossus 4 Chess. We didn't look at it because it's a chess game. I'm not going to spend time, five minutes, talking about a chess game. It's chess. Yeah. Uh, right. Okay. So we're going to wrap up now. We're going to go and have a look. We've got a few more crap on the charts. So our first one. Ian, you got this? I am just bringing up the page. I don't. I've, I've no idea what the hell this is. <laughs> this is, what this is, is something that? called... I don't know. Something called Hit and Miss. Is that a David um, Bowie album cover that they've just converted to? <laughs> I don't know. It says Commodore Plus 4 and C16. Uh, so I do apologise. It's not a C64 game. Can you meet the challenge of Hit and Miss? Hit and Miss is the challenge, but the question is, can you meet it? I, I get that. You've already asked that. <laughs> There's too many statements of um, questioning things on that page. <laughs> yeah. They're all over the place. Then we've got a free A2 poster, free package and postage, new ideas in action. What's that mean? What does that mean? I don't know. I don't get it. What is it? Warning, playing hit and miss could seriously damage your health, but it certainly will not damage your wealth. Who wrote this stupid shit? They're more addictive than any arcade game, the only C16 Plus 4 software offering a real challenge. So the, the mistake they made there is the only C16 Plus 4 software. Yeah. Just end it there. That's all the text. This goes all around it sort of thing. So what we've got is we've got a black landscape sort of thing. So we've got a black sort of triangle at the bottom. Um, and then a gradient blue going from white to a darker blue gradient sort of sky. But in the foreground, it's just a close-up of a, a mannequin's head. Mm. Um, pouting. Like but what, but pouting, yeah, looking quite, you know, pouty, duck-duck-lipping. Yeah, he's got, um, he's got a proper but, but, um, magnum going on there, hasn't he? He has, yeah. But the left eye is now a black circle with white lines coming out of it. Mm, lasers. Lasers, yeah. And we've got more text at the bottom, don't forget. Hit and miss definitely is a mind challenge of mega proportion that all your family and friends can take part in. From single play to doubles, it will stretch your mental dexterity to the full. But remember, it takes more than just guesswork to become a genius with hit and miss. Why is that in speech marks? And I don't know. Why are there so many full stops after the word full? And <laughs> I don't why know. am I wasting my eye time looking at this? My eye time is precious. <laughs> His is more precious because he's missing one. They're clearly very proud of that graphic because they're giving it away of A2 posters every opportunity. And even even the bottom notes is designed by Nigel Waddington, is that? Or Waddinsman? I can't see the quite, but in Leeds, very proud of that graphic he is. And rightly so. No, it is quite interesting, but it is on the wrong thing. That needs to be on a prog band's album cover from 1979. It is, yeah. It's just, it's just, I saw it and I was like, what the hell is mm. such a bizarre concept? And there's so so many random statements. I know, and who makes games for the C16? I didn't realise anyone made games for that, so that's brave. VentureGate do. Yeah, why would you do VentureGate that? VentureGate Limited. I don't even remember what the purpose of a C16 even was. It was, I don't know, was it, I don't know. I, don't, I genuinely <laughs> I don't, don't know. I don't understand. What was the plus four? I, I don't know. I, I know it was a C64-ish looking thing, but I'm not sure what the purpose for it was. Was it just the C64 with a bit more memory? I don't or was know. It I genuinely low, don't low, know. Low spec thing? We should have checked this, shouldn't we? This is terrible radio again. <laughs> <laughs> terrible podcasting. 
I don't, you know, I don't know. It's a shit advert. It's a crap advert. We don't like. But <laughs> to the next one. <laughs> oh God, like what on earth is going on there? <laughs> this is too so this much. Is an, this is an addictive game. You remember addictive because they did Football Manager. And yeah. Nobody ever. Oh, oh, well, they did Stringer. I have a vague memory of Stringer. You know, uh, suddenly, this... what came back to me as soon as I saw that addictive is that guy, the, yeah, the addictive, Kevin yeah, the bearded guy. There he is. He's just there. He Kevin is. Kevin Tom. Yeah. Last scene in the Kama Sutra. Oh God, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't ever want to see that. No. So this is uh, for a game called Boffin. The lack of punctuation on this page uh, pains me. Um, so can you avoid the fangs of a deadly spider? Addictive launch Boffin, a mad professor on the loose. It's just statement. <laughs> and then it just says Boffin. What does that there's mean? A, there's a, there's a, there's like, I, it's like I've drawn an owl on the left there. And then there's, is that a real spider? It looks like one, yeah. Because it's too shiny. It looks like a proper spider. Why is everything on it look drawn? Why isn't there an actual know. screen grab of a real game and graphics? Everything on there looks drawn. That's that's no way that's from the game. Well, no, I, I don't think that's from the game at all. It just, yeah, that's what I mean. It looks like I've crayoned in a, 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 a rubbish owl. Right, as long as you beware the giant puffer, which is <laughs> what it says in the blurb. Beware the giant puffer blimps in your way and give the massive tarantulas a wide berth. What does that mean? Land on the giant, land on the giant hydraulic... Rams and they will slam you into deadly neutron magnets embedded in the cave roof. roof. Manta bats are useful allies, <laughs> and the trampolines will help you gain height. But remember to use your umbrella to break a deadly fall. The complexity of the controls they're describing there are hurting my brain. Yeah. So, am I meant to use the hydraulic rams or the trampolines? And why have they embedded neutron magnets in the cave? And why have I got an umbrella? And why am I looking at this advert? And what, <laughs> what is it doing? And this is a BBC <laughs> game, isn't it? Is it on all it formats? Is. On, is it on all formats? This particular advert is—it looks—it has all the Available hallmarks of a BBC game. It says BBC and electronic. Yeah. You can actually order. It though, but it says please send me cassettes for boffin for and then just a blank for computer so you could write in commodore 64 there yeah. and so they would be forced to give you a commodore 64 version that'd be hilarious and a nightmare at the same time that's just yeah. it looks like that isn't even properly made and they've just made an advert for something <laughs> they haven't done yet and is it near as that addictive logo looked like it was drawn and coloured in with pencil crayons <laughs> the whole thing looks like it was drawn and coloured in with pencil crayons I think crayons. it was yeah it looks like it was drawn that's, that's his sketch for the game that's it someone asked him to you know what's the game about and he went don't worry I'll just give you this sketch you'll get it and they gave just him a, a giant owl being menaced by a spider <laughs> on the word boffin with a man stood with an umbrella on a giant horned bull phone <laughs> and it's like, so where uh, exactly what were you smoking when you drew that? <laughs> Pure boffin. I'm not getting hydraulic rams and uh, manta bats no. from that. I don't wear the manta bats because they look like sort of Omega signs above him. I don't think there's any manta bats in that game. I think that <laughs> he was hoping that someone would help him make manta bats. What is a manta bat? I don't know. Something to do with cricket, I'd have thought. I don't know. Let's move on. Let's yes. move on. We've spent enough time on that because you're going to look Stupid at the next boffin. one. Oh, Lord. <laughs> you remember this from last time? Yes. <laughs> and now we've got another one. When I found the next one in the series of Surf Champ adverts, I had to, had to put it in for you. <laughs> what is that? Why? 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 Why is he? What is going on there? Why? He's got, that's the world's largest Sinclair Spectrum. Yep. And it's too small to be a surfboard. And his arms it's horrifically clawed. <laughs> and his head's dead small. Yeah. And he's and he's, he's got one really bulgy arm, but he's got a claw. So he's, he's a crab. He's half crab. <laughs> that's terrifying. And I don't. I know. I don't get it. I don't get. The advert for this one was weird before. It's even weirder now. Yeah, because the other one was where the disturb the wave was coming out the TV. Now it's the question. Actually, yes, there's new concepts. This is Surf Champ. 
says, would you take your spectrum surfing? Well, no, of course you no. wouldn't. And that guy looks like he's... It's dripping water as well, so he's ruined it, whatever that is. Yeah, he's made, he's, he's made a terrible mistake. Yes, and it just says, you'll be tempted. By what? <laughs> For what? In lo- By whom? In lowercase writing. Yeah. Great prizes and competition. Yeah, so you you can win a weekly prize of a T-shirt. If that's on the T-shirt, I'm not interested. That is just uh, plain weird. What is going on? And, and isn't going to make me want to order that, no matter how tempting they'd say it is i can see that it's really not and it's got that awful surf champ writing on it again with that you know it's it's clearly meant to be a beach you know filling the background so it's got the yellow sand up to the sunsetty bit and then the blue sky and that that, that's meant to be what it is it doesn't look like that it just looks all badly drawn and weird and there's something wrong with his feet and i can't quite figure it out whether he's got (laughs) he's got one really tiny foot that's with a broken ankle or and no toes i don't know it's everything about that is wrong the clawed man is terrifying <laughs> his legs are really weird his, his left leg, his left foot is all he's yeah all and his, his computer's dripping wet and he's not which is kind of weird so i don't know maybe he's just rescued a baby spectrum from the uh from that's yeah. where they grow yeah from he's, the, from he's, the, he's plucked from it from the, the sea but yeah, um maybe. again with that new concepts writing and just you know uh I tell you what, let's move on because you're going to love the next one. Oh, God's sake. <laughs> Why? As a graphic designer, as you do graphic design, I know you did in the past, you, you just tell us what, we, what we're looking at here. Oh, there's so much wrong with that. <laughs> it not only, I mean, the, the fact that it's got... Um, well, what's the game? We've got, tell us the game. So the game is Space Pilot... Two um, by Annie Rog. Now, eliding the game, it's got screenshots of the game. I bet they're not from that game, or at least it doesn't look like that. But what's freakish is that there's a, a spaceship in the middle flying, but it's quite a boxy spaceship. But it's that logo, the Space Pilot <coughs> Two. It's not only is it kind of, it's got an angled gradient to make it look kind of silvery with a beveled edge with an opposing gradient to give it that kind of depth. They're, for some reason, they've joined the word space unnaturally by just drawing a line through the bottom of every letter, including across the P. And then, for some reason, stupid reason that there's a giant two just adjoined to the pilot word pilot and then it's even got like twinkles on it little it looks like they actually look like bird shits which is probably what they are <laughs> it's just everything about that logo shouts somebody just didn't have a clue what they were doing why would you make the two that big and why would you put it there <laughs> why would you join it at the top of the two who does that who gets the word pilot when by the way if you put an extra stick on the bottom of a p it's no longer a p just saying, and then <laughs> carries it all the way across to a two and just joins it at the tip of the top of the two. You don't. Why wouldn't you just do There's a baseline on a two. You would just use that, the one that exists. This is, and it's starting to make me angry. The more I look at it, it's, the more, it's more it's really getting on my nerves. The fact that they've broken, that both P's in that are broken. <laughs> because they're not P's. If you if you draw a line through a P, it's not a P. And if you draw a line from the bottom of a P outwards, it's still not a P. So I don't know what to make of that. Awful. And the spaceship in the middle, it's actually, the spaceship's not bad. That's kind of a nice sci-fi spaceship looking thing. I quite like that. That's quite modern, actually. They do that in more modern drawings now. That kind of, the way the engine fire is coming out to that yellow effect, where it's just sort of coming out of that angle. That uh, uh-huh. reminds me of that kind of, sci- those sci-fi drawings that you see from the sort of 70s. It's got that vibe. That logo doesn't have anything to do with though. And then you've got, you know, the inexplicable stupid blurb over 600 sprites i used to add that extra touch of realism get lost <laughs> to the eight distinct scenarios of breathtaking futuristic beauty yeah by the backdrop against which the final drama must be played what a <laughs> load of bs i'm willing to bet that when we get to play space pilot if we do it is a load of dog egg but that said um no and the annie rock logo <laughs> 
that heavily borrows from the elite logo. They may as well just put the in brackets not elite because you know it's got that chromium effect that we we don't. The actual font there is quite nice, the typeface. But why they didn't use that one for the space pilot in this instead of this weird conjoined mass of nastiness that they've created up there? Just don't do that. You uh, don't get. If you you know this is abuse of the join tool. It's just damn right abuse. You know, don't do it. Don't don't take a font, make it into an outline, and then just arbitrarily join it in the wrong places because it's all kinds of wrong. All kinds of wrong. No, 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 no. The curve of the S as well. It's like the, the, the underneath shading on the, the on the, the line that actually joins them is not even consistent. There's gaps in it. No, exactly. But why why do it? Why not just use a... Why do that? Why, not, <laughs> why just not have the letters separate? Yeah. Just that would have been an idea. It would have worked. And have, I'm not. You, no, but make it. You could have a smaller space, and you could have sp- spaced that so that the word space and pilot were of equal size above each other and below each other, and then a giant two that would have been the same size as space and pilot on the right. That would have made sense. That would have looked better. That's my take on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The two just looks like it's hanging. Do you know, on. What? I've been half tempted to take some of these game adverts and just redo them and just you know, and just do them and go. This is what it could have looked like. This is what you could have won. I don't like the blue background either. No. The, the ironic thing is they've got an actual picture in the bottom right corner of the what, what looks like the tape case or the cover for the case and it's black background it's, it's a black background and it's got like stuff blowing up so it looks way better it looks way better use that um, yeah that's way better and, and even in that the Space Pilot 2 font doesn't look quite as bad because it's not quite as prominent no but putting it on that blue background <laughs> and, and it goes into the yellow you know although I don't like the way that in that in the advert something really in the yellow I don't it like the way need it's to be. it should be off the yellow move it up and to the right not back and to the left up and to the right recurn the space in the pilot just put them above each other bring the two up so it's at the same size and to the right then you'd have all the space and reduce that enormous CBM64 that's on that tape case because there's two of them it's massive just get rid of one of them you don't need that there's a lot of space up there you're taking up just put it up there don't need that yeah. why is it on it twice it's like why <laughs> <laughs> stupid stupid yeah there we go that's the crap verts I wish they weren't but they are <laughs> we wish they weren't <laughs> we wish they weren't so I'm just going to wrap up now with the, the chart from December issues of Commodore user computer video games only had charts for the Spectrum Amstrad and the Atari not for the D64 so according to Commodore user these are our top 10 games I'll do them in reverse order uh, at number 10 we have Wizardry uh, at number 9 we have Black Witch number 8 Beachhead 2 7 Karatika 6 Baron Green's Boxing 5 Skyfox 4 with Exploding Fist in at number 3 Spy vs. Spy 2 number 2 is Summer Games 2 and at number 1 is Frank Bruno's Boxing Oof. so there you go it's not actually a bad top 20 actually if we look at what's in the 20 now games which I don't know what was on that we've got Hacker Paradroid mm. Who Dares Wins 2 Pit Stop 2 BMX Racers, not, not seen that yet. I'm not nope. liking that. Action Biker, Clumsy College Action Biker with Clumsy Collins, Star and Skit. <laughs> Elite, <laughs> Kickstart. Elite's still in the chat. Get out! Elite's in the chat and Finders Keepers. There's, there's, uh, there's a good, good selection of games in there, sort of thing. Just, uh, you know, Black Witch stinking up the place a bit, mm. you know. A bit stinky. Okay, so just to wrap up there, normally what we'd say now sort of thing is what's coming in next uh, next episode. Uh, but this is the end uh, end of the year, so we'll, we'll probably be taking a break from our normal scheduling. Um, I do believe that's our plan. Is that not our plan? That is, is our the plan, plan, isn't it? And so we're going to take a bit of a break from before we come back with January 1986. Now, I think what we're doing is we are going to be releasing episode zero. We correct? are. Yes, we are. We are going to release episode zero. Now, that might be over two weeks, or we might just dump the whole lot on you in one go we're not sure yet um if it is it's, it's over three hours worth so you know you, <laughs> might, have a, you might have a lot 
you might have a lot to listen to because episode zero what we did was we looked at a selection of games from 1982 1983 and 1984 that predates that and we chose some of our favorites some that were sort of uh, well known and, and we reviewed them just in general styles what we've, what we've been doing and so some of them have actually popped up in the issues of zap that we've covered but we've already looked at them the pit stop two springs to mind um that we'd already looked at in episode zero so that's why we didn't cover them um so we're going to release that we're also going to do an episode where we do our favorites of the year our top 10 probably bottom five um, and maybe you know and, and just sort of round up the year with a sort of overview of what we've liked and what we've not and you know just top 10 just so that's what you can expect over maybe the next week two or maybe three depending on whether what we do with episode zero and and that's that's the plan so it's not going to be your standard episode sort of thing but we think you know let's break let's break the years up mm-hmm. um in typical fashion but we, you're going to get content the stuff going to be coming out each week yep. don't worry there will be zap to the past in each week it just won't be us looking at these games but we will be looking at other stuff um and then obviously rounding up what we think of uh of of, of the year and, and say, saying what we think and our, our favorite games so that'll be quite interesting to do because there's some some that have you know stuck out with me i'm sure there's some that stuck out for you as well definitely mileage there uh, it'll be interesting to see what our favorites are um and where we think and and obviously just a bit of a discussion about what we expect from maybe 1986 and and sort of look at some of the games that are coming out over that period mm. um so that's the plan for the next two two weeks top well two or three weeks so stay with us we'll get back to 1986 and obviously when we do that we'll we'll, we'll sort of get back to our normal routine of looking at games and crap birds and what was going on mm. and everything like that as we get back to normal stuff but the next couple of weeks will be slightly different but i'm sure there's some good stuff in there just Absolutely. to say as well that epi- episode zero was the very first thing we ever recorded yes it was so it was our it was kind of our test bed to sort of see if we could actually make this work if this would work so you know it might not be the slick polished experience that you've become <laughs> that you've grown that you've grown used to over these over these weeks where you've been listening to us knowing the consummate professionals that we are with all the facts correct and everything <laughs> it, it may be a bit all over the place and you know but just go with us it was the first thing we did it was see if this would work so you know it is what it is also as well i didn't have a decent microphone back then so the sound quality might not be quite as good but it is what it is there's still a load of games to look at and we have actually got one that we overlooked and we're going to stick back in there so yep. so that's coming next week so please stay with us i've been adrian mills i have been graham raddings uh you've been listening to zap to the past that was the year of 1985 um i can't believe we've actually looked at all those bloody games i know played them um, all too <laughs> thank you for being with us we've been zapped to the past that was 1985 uh we'll we'll record some new stuff in a, in a week or two whatever it is sort of thing. but uh hopefully you'll enjoy episode zero in the next week or two and then our top 10 so we'll see you soon thanks bye-bye Ta-da! thank you for listening to the zap to the past podcast we hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of commodore 64 games as well as the music, sights, sounds and news from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap64 magazine published at the time. We will be back next week with another podcast, so do please join us. Until then, please head over to zaptothepast.com to sign up to our email list, as well as check out all the links and resources in the show notes. You will also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram under Zap to the Past. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Gray Raddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe and see you next time. <laughs>